This episode is supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational, evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex, yeah, Shane. let's begin the episode. Let's do it. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 71. And we have an old friend. We do. We, we have a returning guest, which is so exciting. I'm glad that we're in that phase of returning guests. We have Anna Kleis returning. You might know her better as Bluebird Kisses. She's mom blogger extraordinaire. She is into fitness. She's got three kids. And right now she's busy just homeschooling, cooking awesome meals. That's one of the main reasons I follow her. She's an amazing cook. And quite the backstory. I mean, this interview started out as pretty standard fare. And then it just evolved into learning about her upbringing, which was fascinating. Something I wish we had brought up the first time around. But I'm glad we got to it on this interview. Yeah, Anna was brought up in communist. Romania so has a lot of input on what oppression is you know her thoughts on the lockdown we're in things like that and we talk about figuratively of course killing quote-unquote super mom which is a really good discussion in itself and I think a lot of you will appreciate it anyhow our next interview is with Elizabeth Davy. she's a level three sommelier which is so hard to do that's a huge achievement and somebody that i respect so much and she is the owner of ed wine company so with elizabeth we're sampling manoir de la tete rouge bagatelle 2018 which is a beautiful cop franc and she kind of walks us through what to do in a wine tasting from you know letting air into the wine smelling it what to taste what tannins are how you can identify body things like that we really get into the weeds so if you like wine i hear moms like wine so i'm hoping this might be interesting to some of the mothers like it is a longer interview because we are part of a wine subscription service in fact it is ed wines and this is the owner of that and i actually want to make this our new official hobby where we actually learn what we're doing we're not just drinking the wines we're having fun trying to guess what's in it and if any of you listening are interested we do have a promo code available that you're gonna have to listen to the beginning of date night to to find out yeah no but teaser alert (laughs) check it out though it's great and you know grab yourself a good cob franc and listen to this interview and try to taste along with us it's lots of fun but shane Cheers, my dear. Cheers, my dear, indeed. Episode 71. Pulling the, not lazy, but just effortless drink. We're going with the Mm. standard tonic, fever tree tonic, and seed lip mix. What what variant is this? Oh, we did the Spice 94 tonight. I think it's it's effortless like Sunday morning. Let's call it just the Sunday morning. Isn't that a song, Easy Like Sunday Morning? It is, but you change it to effortless like Sunday morning, and I like this. You're finding unique ways to segue into expressions and topics. This is one of my favorite cocktails, mocktails. Yeah. So good. Yeah, this one tastes like you did something to it. I didn't, babe. This is is just, this is this the fever tree? Yeah, this is that fever, is a great fever tree tonic GD and just a spice. Yeah, the spice ninety four. It's amazing. 
yeah, this is such a simple, easy thing to whip together, and it does really uh, make me feel cool. But, but babe, now, oh, sorry. But yeah, sorry. I was just gonna say, yeah, me too. But babe, what topics do you have this week? I'll tell you. <laughs> I like you telling me what to do sometimes. All right. So everyone, Alex has become a TikTok star. So a if, star. Well, she's jumping a, the gun. A star in the making. So if you have TikTok, follow at this family tree on TikTok. Or user 1798B4- <laughs> I just changed that. Okay. I just so figured what was that, that out. Yeah. I don't know. It was the... I never entered that my name was Alex. So they just gave me, you know, user number 3,482 kind of thing. But... Yeah. Which isn't the coolest thing when you transfer it to Instagram. No. So yeah, that was a newbie move. You know... I'm working on it. I'm still learning. I'm not one of these Gen Zers who they get it. it. It's taking me a little while. So that's why I hashtag also everything over 30 or over 30 club because I feel like the people that are looking at that hashtag can like take a little, you know, they can have a little sympathy for is me. Is Gen Z the one after millennials? Yes. So Alex is on TikTok, but the only problem is she refuses to be directed <laughs> by her director husband. So I wanted to get into trust issues here a lot of people correlate trust with cheating on the in the relationship like having a mistress or something and yeah that is probably the most important thing to avoid when it comes to having a relationship last like that's yeah. a bad thing but i think it's very insidious to not have trust on other layers too okay like, wait I, you're saying i don't have trust for you when you're directing me Oh my goodness, Alex, are you saying you do? Shane, it's I like ha- pulling teeth. Yeah, I have trust <laughs> in your I have trust in your vision, okay? No, you don't. It's, yes, I do. I get your okay, vision. Okay, so we did you, a TikTok oh today. We we came up with an idea which was there's Olivia Rodrigo. She has the new song Driver's License. Well, new to us. We're in the over 30 club, but kids probably knew about it like a year <laughs> ago, but it's hitting the over 30 club right now. It's this massive hit and we were thinking what could we do with a song where it has the lyrics so I'm escaping oh, right wait, now. Oh wait, wait. You said forever and now Okay, I I'm going to sing <laughs> I'm going to sing the melody. Alex is probably the melody. You said forever, but now I drive. What, what is alone it? Alone past your street. You said forever, but now I drive alone past your street. <laughs> what? Was that no good? It's close enough. You, it sounded Something sounded off. I'm not sure what it was. You said forever, now I drive alone past your street. <laughs> Why are you laughing? This is perfect melody. I'm not no, saying- I think you're adding an extra word or something. Just The, the, the timing seems off. You said forever, but now I drive alone. I don't know. Much better, Alex. (laughs) Point is, it's a hit song, as you all can hear. And we thought, okay, what would be funny for the mom community? Okay, um, moms are missing. What's that place called? Moms are missing home sense. So we thought, huge. We'll have Alex mouth the lyrics, and then we'll drive by a home sense like she's missing it. Maybe this is hard to describe. You just go to Alex's Instagram. It'll fill you in on the details. Or my TikTok. Or, or her TikTok, rather, which has over 20 followers, I think, at this point. I have over 100 followers. I think I have like 101 followers. So when we get to the driving part, I just said, okay, the timing really matters here. So we're going to have to drive at a crawl. And when we get to this landmark, I'm going to pan the camera over to the home sense. And that's going to be the comedic timing where the punchline really hits the audience. Mm-hmm. And we, we tried it once, but the timing wasn't right. So I said, Alex, can you just drive further back? You go, no. I'm like, Alex, just a little, little bit further back, please. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's fine here. I'm like, 
okay, I'm not going to argue, so we do it. And the timing's wrong. So I'm like, we're going to really need to go back. Go back. And no, you just said no. And you stopped the van. Because it didn't matter how far back I was. It all had to do with how fast I was driving. So it's like, no. Yeah. Alex, I'm the director. So I'm telling you the speed does matter. Because when I swoop over to the home sense and do my pan, you were going at such a crawl that the joke couldn't happen. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Maybe... Everything was tainted because of how you went into your directing. You went into it with like a sharpness that I I should expect from you at this point, but I I never do. And it's like, you know, just say you want me to, I I don't know. I don't know. Okay. When you were first showing me the video, you're like, did you watch that video I sent you? Instead of, hey, babe, like, did you watch that video that I sent you a little while ago? And I was like, oh, no, not yet. And you were like, oh, come on. I sent it to you three times. I told you I told you to watch it. And it's like, you could have said, No, oh. what you said was, what video? <laughs> <laughs> I said, the video I told you to watch it three times. Because I just thought there was like, oh, she doesn't listen. We were talking about doing this TikTok. I wanted to do it right. Mm. And I don't know how to even say this mean or sharp. I'll try right now. Can you back up? <laughs> is that is that is that what is could, that mean? could you back up you weren't necessarily saying back up in the car mean or sharp you were just you said it like you were like really annoyed no i'm not, i'm just in director mode i'm focused so okay directing aside whatever <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to like okay alex does have a vision and in a lot of cases by the way her vision is better than mine she really has a handle on the the mama sphere, the community, what's funny, what's like hack, what's not. And I'm a good editor in my you, own. You are. We'll get to that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm I you know, I've been editing for about 15 years. So when I get home, I'm like, oh, I just want to whip that edit together and show you what I would do. And you, you very condescending, like tone, tones your <laughs> big you're like, "No, I think I have a handle on it." <laughs> I'm like, a handle on it? You take an hour to do three edits, and I can whip this together I'm in five minutes. I'm still learning. So I'm, I'm like f- foaming, like or fuming. That's the better <laughs> word. I was foaming too, but I was very hungry at this point. And I just went to the editing room, uploaded all the footage, and edited it in five minutes, and come to the kitchen all proud because I did the edit so quickly. I go, I did the edit. You put down the spatula and just look at me like I'm Satan. I'm like, oh, I thought it'd be good. I'm sorry. What I, I was just uploading the footage. That's what took long. I guess you wanted me to watch the kids while they were eating. <laughs> I didn't know you were doing that. I thought you were doing something for a podcast. I'm trying to start your TikTok career. I <laughs> I thought you would be so happy. I had you no ju- idea. I thought, hey, this is a favor. I edit. You're pissed at me. You come in. First thing you say as you look, you did you sync the audio to the well, song? And I'm like, yeah. Then you, you start you a little. So but then you start a little smirk like, oh, this could be advantageous. <laughs> My husband, who's a professional director and does this for a living, actually figured out how to sync an audio track. And for some reason, that just really melted you and made you so happy. And then you saw the video and you were just very happy and cool all of a sudden. Well, it, it, it worked out very well. You did a great job. And I was shocked at how quick that, quick that took. Like That was so fast. I do this for a living, Alex. I need you to trust me. Okay, I need trust on this okay, level. Okay, well then, well then, when we go into our next, you know, big TikTok shoot that takes you in a whole of seven minutes, when you direct, don't be short. Be very, you know, throw a couple babes in there when you're okay. talking to okay. me. No, this Sweethearts, is good. Alex in a nice way, like okay. not in a Alex, 
like in a oh alex okay way. just yeah i guess i'm trying to be speedy and speedy sometimes can masquerade as rude well because it's not speedy in the end because then you and i just end up talking about tone and being like hey Hey, be nicer. Mm-hmm. True. I okay. am being nice. This is this is good feedback, and and I can do it. But I need you to trust me and my editing that I can do it faster. Because honestly, like realistically, how long do you think that edit would have taken you? It would have taken me an hour. Yeah, minimum. And I and I don't think it would have been. I think it would have been good, mm-hmm. but not as sharp. It wouldn't have been as sharp. And you know what? Good notes. What? Good feedback. Good notes. I will trust your editing and your vision. And, and your director's because skills. with you running all the edits, because we all uh, let you under the curtain of TikTok, that app is hard to navigate when you're in the over 30 club and I'm pushing the 40 club. <laughs> so we're editing not obviously on the app. I'm editing in my on my computer. So I don't think you were going to learn how to edit the app at this point. Like you've deduced it's too hard to figure out, right? Um, TikTok? Yes. Yeah, that is hard. Like it's just like I can't even... I don't even want to edit on that because I already have something I'm comfortable with and it seems more precise. Because of this, your TikTok career will be buried because you'll be spending too much time working on the edits. If we come up with a plan where we write down like, let's say, we keep a running list of funny TikTok ideas Mm -hmm. and then we shoot them, let's say every Saturday we shoot a TikTok video and just give me the edits. Yeah, I'll edit them all. And then I just shit them out and then give them to you on a platter. Yeah. Every TikTok video I can do in under 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. No, let's let's do that. That's easy. That'll make it easier on us like as a unit, you know, as family. Yeah. So, so. just have trust. And I do think trust, there's so mm-hmm. many facets to it that for me, my biggest worry wasn't you running off with uh, some hotter guy. Like, well, good luck. Should be. Good luck finding that. <laughs> But it was just me asking you to do simple tasks and you ignoring me and me feeling disrespected and hurt. And that I was like, I don't trust Alex. And I felt stupid saying it like when I'd come up to you and be like, I just don't trust you. And, I, you know, there's moments I'll admit it. I was crying in my hands like I can't trust you. And I felt like an idiot. But it was years of things being ignored. That was all, right, all... Scorsese. I'm sorry. I'm Wait, try- what does I'm that work- mean? What is, what's this you're... joke? <laughs> you're the director who i'm, I'm trusting. talking about something else different. i know that but i'm you know doing a little callback to the director stuff and needing to trust my director okay well your jokes are hurtful sometimes and <laughs> pick, pick and choose your moments okay i'm i'm pouring my heart out i know and i don't want people to think that i'm like an evil forgetful witch because i'm just a nice forgetful person yeah but there's a line when forgetfulness can bleed into inconsiderate because you're not even taking into account that oh i am i'm a forgetful person or considering the other person like i'm a very forgetful person too so i try to use little things to help me remember well like i am now that's good thank you down a better road which bleeds me which leads me (laughs) I, i could say bleeds which leads me to my next topic, which is why do we think our date nights have been going so well and just our relaxing time in general? Mm. I feel so much more relaxed and happy during a date night when the kids are napping than I used to. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell that you do. You are more jovial. You are 
you're just looser right off the bat. Like before we even open the wine, you are just looser and you are, you could tell just looking at you that the wheels aren't turning so much and you're able to kind of shut your brain down a little bit. And then that in turn, I think makes me a little bit looser and me a little bit happier. And then that happiness just feeds off of each other. Like positivity breeds positivity, just like negativity and stress breeds negativity and stress. Originally, I was trying to get you organized so I could stop me thinking about tasks you had to do because mm-hmm. that was always running through my mind. But then I, I recommended, like, Alex, I don't care if it costs 300 bucks a month. You need an app that's going to organize your life because it's going to relieve so much stress in our relationship. Mm-hmm. But now I see how well it's working. I want it. So what is that app called? It's called any.do. So like A-N-Y period D-O. And it's, it's free? It's free. It's free. So everybody was suggesting, I think I spoke about it on the last pod, Google Keep. It looks great. I just honestly haven't gotten into it. And AnyDo is working so well for me. And I like I like the grocery list. Like it keeps everything that I want remembered just in that one space. I don't get too fancy with it. I just do the tasks and the grocery list. But you could do more with it and whatnot. But yeah, it's good. I feel like we figured out relaxing because of it and it sounds sounds weird because relaxing seems like a thing that should just be natural Mm -hmm. but for me and I feel like maybe for you also that it was something that took effort to actually unwind and chill especially if you're heavily in the social media world which I feel Mm -hmm. like everyone is pretty much these days that it is hard to know when to put the phone down and relax and it's like that you have to get that muscle going to actually do it properly yeah and we figured it out. And the board games was an amazing revelation. On date nights, instead of watching a movie where you can almost sense your phone when you're watching a movie sometimes, which it shouldn't be that way, but it is for me. When you're playing a board game, you're more engaged. Yes. And okay, so this week I thought we did it the best ever where we played the board. Well, we played Jenga. We mm. did best two out of three. Which is a very stressless game. And I won. Yeah, okay, now you're making me mad. I was, <laughs> I was just going to say, as competitive as I am, and I have a problem with competition, when I lose at Jenga, it feels more like, oh, well, that's just a random game. <laughs> and the reason you won, by the way. Oh, wh- please. No. I won because I have the steady hand and the good eye, Shane. You, when that's you changed, why I won. You changed the rules after I beat you. Get out of here. You did. You changed the rules where instead of being able to tap the pieces, you had to, once you grab one, you right. get one more move and you have to pull it. And for me, that's very hard. Well, for everybody, it's very hard. And that's the thing. So then it comes down to who is the better tapper and who has the steadiest okay. hand. I'm the better tapper. You. I was the better tapper. I, I won. won the tap round. I won both tap rounds, you goof. My apologies to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the best part about date night, I think, after Jenga. So we were in a great mood. We were having fun. We went through our wine tasting. But... We decided to play the newlywed game. So this was something that Shane used to do when we were first dating. Like I'd go to his condo and he'd have, you know, two papers and two pens lined up. We'd put the newlywed game on from YouTube. Like you can pull up all the old episodes and then we'd actually play and like we'd write down our answers. We'd see how many points we got. Like we'd actually keep score and then see where, see how we would do, I guess, against the other players. I have to go check on Lou. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's crying. So... 
we did that again and we had our scorecards we pulled up all these old episodes from youtube which were hilarious like you can get them from the 60s through all of the decades and now we're actually married so it makes more sense now than when we were playing it before when we were on our like fifth date and you thought i was a weirdo (laughs) for playing it it was always fun but i never obviously didn't know enough about you i just had to like guess at you know what i'd be the most pissed off about you leaving around the house or whatever but it is so much fun and like i'm willing to do that for 30 minutes every day night yeah absolutely it sounds lame but a newlywed game is very fun to play and you don't need anybody other than your partner because the game's just fun to watch other people's oh answers and it's always it feels like you're really part of the game. But speaking of things that annoy us, Uh-oh. I have a new one here. Oh, no. And I, I just went up to change Lucy's diaper. She was calling out, so I changed her diaper. It was a poo-poo. I come down and trip on toilet paper. Oh, shoot. You were supposed to bring that upstairs with you. Alex? <laughs> okay, okay. So earlier in the day, we have gray stairs. I'll preface this story with the fact that we have gray, fuzzy stairs. Some might say it looks like a blanket, a gray blanket, <laughs> our stairs. So I also I have trouble sleeping, so I was experimenting with a weighted blanket. Works great. Recommend it for everyone. When, when Lucy was finished her nap today, she wanted me to carry her down the stairs. Sometimes she likes to go down herself. Sometimes she doesn't. She has this little bear named Toto, and she's like, I want you to take Toto down with me. So I'm like, okay. I'm carrying Lucy, and she's like, Toto wants a pepper. And I go, why does Toto want a pepper? At, at, so a mid-sentence, almost drop Lucy down the flight of stairs, and myself, my head's about to hit the, the top wall, because you kind of have to duck to go down her we stairs. We have a very old house. Which would have broken my neck, probably. <laughs> I look down, I'm like, what tripped me? These are just the stairs. Oh, this gray weighted blanket that's the same color of the stairs is on the stairs right like how did you not see that on your way upstairs when i'm going up i go down the right side of the stairs in case you're coming down so i try to like i use the stairs like traffic laws in case you're coming down also so the unwritten rule is when i go up the stairs i go on the right side when i go down the stairs i go i go on the right side i think you're just making this up because you knew i was downstairs no, I didn't. The baby takes like seven naps a day at this true. point. Okay, true. I, I never know if you're up, down, where you are. I would never assume well, you're I'm here. Okay, so the blanket was on the stairs because it's this heavyweighted blanket. I was trying to get our downstairs of the house cleaned. So I was like, okay, this weighted blanket is in the guest bedroom, but we want it in our bedroom. So I put it on the stairs so that the next person to go upstairs could bring it with them and, you know, save me a trip so I could just keep keep doing stuff. So you missed the blanket, I guess, and that was a bad idea. It was a bad idea, and fine. You know what? (laughs) Strike one, whatever. It's fine. So I said, Alex, you know I'm a basketball player. I have a history of breaking my ankle. In fact, when I was spraining and breaking my ankle, in fact, when Lucy was born, I had a Mm. broken ankle. I, I broke it right before. That was horrendous. And it was terrible. So I'm super cautious about where I'm stepping. I hate tripping on stuff. Anytime I'm in the editing room and you walk in, I go, watch your feet. Don't step on anything. I'm paranoid about it. And I just say, Alex, we're very lucky. Lucy could have been terribly injured. I could have broken my ankle, broken my neck. It could have been so bad. But let's just never leave things on the stairs cut to just now we i had to leave so again exact same exact same scenario i go up the stairs on the right hand side 
and there's there's no obstruction on the right hand side but i after i got lucy's diaper i'm holding this diaper filled with with poop and i go down the right hand side but now the right hand side has a perfectly placed toilet paper roll so wait that so i tripped over the left hand side you mean no when i when i was going oh up, i see i see when i'm see. going down it's yeah. on my right your left going up so then what i should do is never put things on the stairs or put them on the right hand side no. Why? So that you see it. Don't if this put, is your excuse, then I'll put them on the right-hand side so it could be like, oh, here, Shane, take up this roll of toilet paper with you. Oh, people, see how these arguments go? <laughs> Alex will not admit that she's wrong. Every mom knows, don't no, put toys in the stairs. Shane, I think, I think that this is something houses do. This is what we did growing up. There was something on the stairs, and whoever was going up the stairs next had to take it up with them. I just think stair safety isn't your family's best suit. If this is something your parents have been doing your entire life, which is leaving items on the stairs, I think that's terrible practice, especially when you have kids and you're like, we're carrying a okay, six month old okay. down the stairs. I don't want to be thinking. They had like a platform before you really started the stairs and that's where they'd put the stuff so that it wouldn't impede on the stair walking. I don't like it at all. I don't care if we have a platform. If we don't, don't put things on the stairs, please well, don't. Well, then where can I put the things to be like, hey, guys, don't forget to take up this toilet paper upstairs because then you don't want to be going to the bathroom in the middle of the night and have nothing to wipe your butt with. I think you can find a, another solution, Alex. All right, I'll try. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay, February is coming up. Oh, okay. The worst month, in my opinion. Okay. How yeah. are we going to get over the blues, the February blues? I think we're, you know, I think that we are going to be okay. And I think that because we have a lot of things in the week that we have to look forward to. So I don't think it's going to be bluesy. I think February is just, honestly, I think it's going to feel like every other month during quarantine i do because we don't have to go outside to work we don't have to catch buses it's hard for me though because i like going on my daily run and february is usually the month where it's too cold to do so so i do get a little bit down i can feel it looming i'm somewhat worried about valentine's day should i be why i don't know sometimes i don't know what's going on in your head well a card and a nice dinner like give me a nice card i'll give you a nice card and let's have some kind of fancy date night dinner. Define nice card. Does it need to be purchased from Amazon? No. Do that if you feel like doing that. But you don't need to. You haven't at all during quarantine for Christmas, for my birthday, for Mother's Day. You've just written me. You've found paper at home and then made your yeah, own cards Yeah, but usually the gift makes up for it. So it's like, oh, I didn't get her a nice card, but I have a gift. So get me a funny card then. Or a nice card or whatever from Amazon. And then that's it. Do I have to write in the funny card? You have to write in the funny card, you dingus. Like, that's, you can't just get a card and then have, you know, whatever the Hallmark writers say. That can't be your message. Some people like that. You, you, Not I, me. I like a written card. Yes, but nobody likes receiving that. Some people do. Only that. I'm sure that if they like receiving only that, then they've never received something with, like, a personalized message. I knew somebody who was obsessed with receiving and picking out for other people the perfect Hallmark card, and but, they cared about it a lot. See, everybody, They didn't write in it, though. I think everybody is obsessed to a degree. I am obsessed to a degree with the message in the card and to picking out the perfect one. I will stand in the card aisle for a half hour going through each one, seeing if it's funny enough, if it's too corny, if it's too romantic, whatever, and picking out mm -hmm. the perfect one. But I will always, always follow it up with a nice personal message. Yeah, I just like to make sure the genre is right. 
Yeah. Like if it's a grandparent one, I don't want it to be for an uncle. There's not, there, <laughs> I guess there isn't a lot of uncle birthday cards. <laughs> Happy, Happy birthday, birthday uncle. uncle. Yeah, but for, okay, as far as gifts, we're not getting each other anything? Mm-mm. Dinner, nice dinner. Yeah, nice dinner, nice bottle of wine, nice card. Simple. Okay. Essentially just a date night. Cool. Let's hope it falls on Wednesday so we can kill two, two birds, birds one with one stone. Yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> great minds. Speaking of great minds, let's get to our first interview right now. Yeah, let's do it. But before we do that, tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. And it seems to be the thing we are drinking the most this entire quarantine. Oh my goodness, the most. It is our standby, and you know, whether it is for the night, the month, or forever, as a non-drinker, it never feels great when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. It makes you feel like you're drinking an adult drink if you do not want to drink alcohol this is the option for you i feel like a sober james bond because i can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to my social life or sophisticated options so whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors aromatic spices or savory herbs seedlip offers a drink for every kind of drinker crafted using bespoke process including the traditional copper distillation of botanicals each of seedlip's three variants spice 94 garden 108 and grow 42 are alcohol free and have their own unique flavors which pair so perfectly with a splash of tonic However, of course, they can be used to make more complex cocktails like Shane and I usually drink. And you'll find them in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account, which is at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off all of your favorite non-alcoholic spirits. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. Again, that is SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and ThisFamilyTree10. And we are also supported by My Breast Friend. My breast friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. I'm going to stop you right there. Breast is spelled (laughs) B-R-E-S-T. You know it is, Shane. (laughs) And for more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. And you mean support literally. Yeah, they're holding up their hands. I would get the worst arm pain, shoulder pain, and it really made breastfeeding uncomfortable. So lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. But now let's get to our interview with Anna of Bluebird Kisses. Okay. Anna, it is so nice to have you back on this Family Tree podcast. Shane and I were just looking at the date. The last time we spoke, so the first time you're on, was February 23rd of 2020. So before shit really hit the fan. Yeah, for some reason I had thought, I was like, oh, she was, we had her on right when the pandemic began. But no, it hadn't even begun yet. No. So surreal. Life was good then. Life was great a year ago. It was so full of hope. Well, I was kind of paranoid about it in December. So mm. like, yeah, but maybe for everybody else it was good. But but it was still normal. Like everything was normal-ish, right? Yeah. But it was like the gloom and doom inside of me started in like late December. Because I remember discussing it at New Year's with like our neighbors who were over in January, Michael traveled to Baltimore for work and I made him like a COVID pack with like bleach and a mask and everything. And I messaged him when he was at the airport. I was like, you have to be wearing your mask. And he'd sent me a picture. He's like, like, no one is wearing a mask. 
Like I'm the only one. <laughs> I do want to get on COVID because I feel like you and myself and Shane relate so much in our thoughts toward all of that. But before we do, you know, our last conversation was centered around a lot of health, a lot of wellness, your health journey, things like that. And for those possibly listening for the first time, listening to you on our podcast for the first time, we kind of missed out on like, who the hell is Anna behind Bluebird Kisses? So who the hell are you? If we were to meet at a park, like just two moms at a park, what would you tell me? Uh, I'm sorry for yelling at my kids and being the nut <laughs> that's like in the park screaming at her kids. No, I am. I worked full time. Like blogging was always, it was just kind of a hobby. Like it actually started by accident. I worked in IT before this as a consultant. So like I went to school, then I, you know, had a career path and then I had kids and when I got pregnant with Henrik, it kind of all went sideways just because it was too hard to do consulting and to take care of, it was hard enough with two kids, but then to put a third kid in the mix, it was just too complicated. And so I decided to kind of like take a back seat from like the career path and just focus on the kids and see sort of what the blog could do. Cause at that mm -hmm. point it was just sort of for fun, I guess. And it just kind of became a job. Like I kind of announced that I was taking time off work um, and I was going to just focus so solely on the blog and on Instagram. And then I just sort of took off from there, which was unexpected. Like my whole thing was like, oh, I'm just going to make it. I'm just going to save enough for like six months to see if I can stay home with my son for six months. Because because I worked as a consultant, I didn't qualify for EI or any of that mm -hmm. stuff. So with Johannes, I only took four weeks off after he was born. And then with Magnus, I only took four months. And then with Henrik, because I hadn't quite saved for him, <laughs> it was like, oh shit, like, we got to figure this out now. I forget that women that are work freelance or anything like that do have to save and that you aren't on mat leave. Because I think, oh, we're in Canada. Everybody has mat leave. But what? when did you start the blog? Because you started it like quite a while ago. Like Pre-Instagram, I think, right? Mm -hmm. It was pre-Instagram. Yeah. I started it in 2000 and I think it started in 2011, I want to say, because I think Johannes was three months old. Technically, I bought the domain and everything else in 2009 because the point was to kind of do it for my wedding. Oh, okay. My goal was to like, it was supposed to be like a wedding blog. And then my dad wanted to help. So he oh. decided to design it and like get it all up and running. And it took so long that I got married and had kids. And then one day he called me out of the blue and was like, oh, hey, by the way, I finished that blog. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> what blog? <laughs> That's so anyways, and then I used it out of, out of guilt, to be honest, at first, because I was like, well, he's been, this man's been working on this for three years. Like now I feel like I need to put something in there. And so, yeah, that's kind of like at first it was out of guilt and then it sort of evolved into its own thing. Mm -hmm. and, and now is Instagram like your main thing or is the blog still a thing? I would say it's the it's Instagram. It's interesting because Instagram sort of like took over what the blog used to be. Like people used to go to the blog to kind of like hear my story or, you know, get insight into kind of what was going on and then it gave them sort of a glimpse into my life. And then that once Instagram came, everything was so quick and it kind of took over. So the blog gets more traffic for things like recipes 
anything that people need to like actually read, I, I can see sort of like in the analytics, they're reading it from like a tablet, for example. So I think they bring it into the kitchen and then that's how they look through it. And then Pinterest drives actually a lot of my blog traffic as well. But it, I would say it's mostly Instagram now. So like even when sponsors come, like they, they're mostly interested in mm. Instagram first and then the blog as like a secondary add-on. Was it harder to get your first 10,000 followers or from 10,000 to 100,000? It wasn't hard to get to 10,000 at that time because like I started so long ago that this was not like a thing. Like I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it, I feel like it, it was pretty quick. Like once sort of like photography took over and mm-hmm. it was less, you know, using like the Instagram filters then there weren't really that many people that were doing anything that was kind of edited. So it jumped from there. And then Instagram used to do this thing, which they don't do anymore, where they used to do like a suggested user page. They used to get like 10 accounts that they really liked and they would promote them for a two week period to anyone new who was signing on. So when you would sign on or like get a new account, you would get like 10 people automatically that would be suggested to you that you should follow. And so I got put on that list like pretty early on. Cause again, like there weren't really that many people. And so the first few, like just went like that after a hundred, I would actually almost say like it kind of stalled, like it's been slow moving, but to get to a hundred didn't, wasn't that hard. Cause it was like back in the day, like yeah, dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> well, back in the day, and you had an excellent yeah. uh, aesthetic and blog too. It, it, you're such a great photographer and have great eye for style. Mm-hmm. No one cares about that anymore. Photography is dead. <laughs> what, what about TikTok? Are you, are you on that? Is that something you're like, oh, that could be another revenue stream and I could get people going to that? I did try it out. You know what? I actually really love TikTok to, as a user. Like I like to go on there. It just feels so much simpler and it's hilarious and people are funnier and they're not as, I don't know. Instagram to me is a bit fake sometimes. Like obviously it depends on like what accounts you follow, but I just find, I really like TikTok for just how natural a lot of it feels. So I posted a bunch of like the videos that I did for Instagram. I actually just like move them mm-hmm. over to TikTok and put them there. Cause the reel is pretty similar. And I did find, cause I had a couple of videos that actually went viral on the TikTok platform. And I found that they translated into followers on Instagram. So as that was trending on, on TikTok, it was doing the same thing sort of on Instagram. Like people were definitely crossing over. Whereas I don't find people from Instagram cross over to TikTok. And I found the same thing with YouTube because I tried that out for a while. Mm -hmm. It was just way too much work to keep Mm -hmm. like multiple platforms going, but it's the same thing. Like YouTube followers will follow you on Instagram, but from Instagram, it's like a dinosaur. Nobody wants to go anywhere. Wait, how do you find your niche on TikTok? So I like watching it too, but I am not like, I don't feel funny enough for TikTok or like, I don't feel dancey enough for TikTok or like sassy. (laughs) I'm not sassy. I don't have that. And I feel like everybody on TikTok is that. So how did you find a niche there? I didn't. I just posted my food, t- my food reels. I posted my food reels and then my, my workout stuff. I'm not funny either. No, but that that's a good niche though. That's a good niche is, you know, finding the people like your food looks insane. Your oat bars are on my, my menu for this week for me to actually make time to make. 
Well, hopefully they weren't overhyped because now I feel like there's like pressure (laughs) if they're not good. Sorry. (laughs) But Shane was talking about your blog. You guys were talking about your blog. And I have one piece you wrote from 2013. And I just thought it was so good. And I wanted to read a bit of it. So it was called I Killed Supermom. And you said, oh, yes, (laughs) I have put a symbolic knife right through that asshole who makes me think that being perfect is an achievable goal. I killed Supermom and maybe you should, too. So that is, first of all, A plus reading. I love that. It's such a good piece. And I want to know that was in 2013. Is that still your sentiment? Yeah, 100 percent. Like there's no such thing as the perfect mom. And it's funny because at that time, like when I wrote that, I only had one kid. I just had Johannes. And I remember with him, like I felt so much pressure to be everything, you know, to be perfect, to like have my makeup done when I'm dropping him off at school, to be like a good worker and a good mom and to like make homemade meals and like just be able to like do it all and do it with a happy smile on my face. And that's just not the, that's not Mm -hmm. achievable. And I felt like I really struggled with that with him And then now that I've had multiple kids and I realize like, it's not like, that's just not how it goes. Yeah. That's still how I feel. I don't know anyone who's perfect, like any mom. (laughs) Of course not. No, but I find when you're, when you have like a public platform, you are almost expected to be perfect. And if you were to post anything out of line, a hundred moms would be like, oh, actually that hat is off and that means it's dangerous. And how do you, how do you handle all the trolls and people online sliding into the DMs or even publicly commenting about your parenting abilities? So first of all, I turned off my DMs. So I can only get DMs for people I follow. Oh, nice. So that was awesome. Like I should have done that like a long time ago because I find it's a little bit more work for people to write the nasty things that they're thinking on like an actual public photo. Not that it doesn't happen, but it's, it's definitely taken it down a notch because it was just too easy for someone to just like write whatever they thought and hit send. Um, And it was also clogging up my inbox to be honest. So now, you know, they can go to forums to write mean things instead and like they can have that it's it's so it's so intense like alex was just saying one day like oh people shouldn't storm the capital and then a woman's like you're so political now you're obsessed and it's like what and then it's- and then she turned she turned it into me not supporting human trafficking stuff and it was like this huge thing now like i don't like human trafficking like where yeah. is this coming from and it was like a huge big thing and she essentially accused me of being a pedophile like in the end that was the bottom line yeah yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Like if I talk about anything, I remember one of the first criticisms that I got, I posted a photo of Magnus. He was maybe nine months old in his crib and he was just like pulling himself up, like laughing at his brother. And I didn't realize that I guess like there was a light, like a one of those like stand-up lights, like right beside the crib. And I got so much hate because apparently they can strangle themselves with the cord. Like, I can't believe you're just your shit parent. Like, how dare you put the crib right there? And I was like, oh my God. Like- <laughs> yeah. It's rooted in love in a way, I guess, but it's it's so stupid and so intense that it's uh, unbearable. It just makes it easy. The fact that it's online and you know, it's probably what they would think anyways, maybe Mm -hmm. like this, what I think, I think this is just who they are. Like, this is what people normally would think, but being 
online and just having, you know, a couple of keys to press, I think it just makes it easier to just hit send Mm -hmm. and verbal diarrhea out as opposed to really thinking through like, whereas it's much harder to say those things face to face with a person. Mm -hmm. I had a girl like write the nastiest things on a forum one time. And I actually could tell from how she wrote it, who it was. And I actually like, yeah. And she lived in the neighborhood. And so one day when I actually like ran into her, I was like, oh, hey, so like, you know, you're, you're fine writing this stuff like online when you're anonymous, like say it to my face. She admitted it was her. No, she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh my goodness. So that no, that's amazing Whoa. to actually not only know who it is, that's that's, that's just like, like special fantasy, brain yeah. power. But <laughs> to actually be able to confront that person, because usually when somebody is writing something online, it's like somebody in a different neighborhood, maybe in a different country, or at least, you know, a different part of the same country. But to actually be able to confront them is amazing. And do you usually deal with things like that head on? Like how how do you deal with people like that? And has anybody said anything that has actually really, really gotten under your skin? It all kind of gets under my skin to a certain extent, because even though I know that it's not really like a reflection of me, but it's more of a reflection of them and their thoughts and they're projecting it onto me, it's still hard to read that. Like, especially when they're, especially when it's criticizing like my kids, calling them names, saying things about them, that really like, it's hard to turn that off instantly. So it might take me, you know, five, 10, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever. It used to make me really angry and it used to make me want to like actually confront them head on. And to be fair, if I knew who everybody was, I probably would. But a lot of them are actually kind of anonymous. It was just like that one, (laughs) one girl. But I used to actually like write them back for a long time. And then I realized like, really, they're not going to change, you know, their position like and if they're the type of person who's going to say something nasty and mean then like nothing I say is going to change who they are so I'm better off like blocking them or ignoring it or moving on people are so brutal and Shane and I have been talking about this a lot recently but people are brutal women are brutal and then you get into the world of moms and moms are the worst and you touch on this in your I killed super mom piece too and moms are so quick to rush to judgment. And, you know, I think that I'm at a point, I I do feel when judgment's coming on, I try to get rid of it, but I do feel that I'm at a point in my life where I'm better at stopping myself from judging other people or just not judging them at all because I just don't care and I get it. And maybe I was more judgmental like five years ago, 10 years ago. But moms are so bad. Why do you think we, I'm saying we're like as a collective, why do you think we're like this? And like, are you still in that or have you been able to get out of that? So I was super judgy too, before I had kids, Mm -hmm. like, especially before I had Johannes, like I had like some pretty, you know, solid ideas about like what parenting (laughs) should be. And then I had a kid and then like everything changed and I realized I was super wrong. (laughs) Um, and so no, to be honest, I, I mean, sometimes I'll see like, for example, like I'm just going to give my neighbors as an example. So when they had their newborn, they 
they were like the newborn was screaming. It was crying. And like, I remember waking up one night, it was around 11 and I just saw them like walking up and down, like with this like crying newborn. And I first felt so sorry for them. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like these poor people. And then part of me was like, Oh, I know how I can fix this. <laughs> like, I want to go out there and just take that really tiny baby and swaddle him super tight and like shove a soother in his mouth, you know, but they like, they didn't want to give the baby a soother at that point. And I'm like, so it's hard to like, not like, that's like a judgmental thing too, right? Like that I'm thinking that I'm better because I can go and fix this problem, which maybe I couldn't because he was colicky and probably nothing would have fixed it. <laughs> but now I don't, I don't know. Like, I think sometimes like the thoughts will still come in, but I, it's, I know, I know for a fact that I'm not better than anybody mm-hmm. at this point. So I think that kind of dumbs this, all of that down for me mm-hmm. anyways. Well, see, like, it's funny because I, you know, I'm so much better at judging because now I just like, I don't care. And I, I realize that I suck too. And it's like, you know, let's all suck together. At least everybody else does better than me. And I learn from you, them. And you talk about killing Supermom. And it's like, I'm still in very much a stage where I'm like comparing, but it's, it's like a self-deprecating comparison and I'm always seeing people above me and like I see you on bluebird kisses and I'm like holy shit Anna's got it together like you got these awesome workouts every day home cooking beauty meals ground bison for the family you know (laughs) all this stuff and you've got kids that are doing virtual school you're helping them out and you seem really put together so whether you are or not I haven't put makeup on in years like I, I wash my hair once a week. Same, same. <laughs> That's the key. Dry shampoo is life. Dry shampoo. Yeah. And your hair gets used to it. So it stops getting so greasy. It does. But like, how do you, how do you plan your days? Cause you honestly, you do get seemingly a hell of a lot done. Like, how do you do that? Cause I'm trying to get better at organization and better at motivating myself and planning things like that. It's like, do you do anything or are you just intrinsically and inherently good at that? I think part of it is the fact that I have kids that are, first of all, the school schedule is set out for me. I don't get to make that up. Like, but one thing that I realized with my kids pretty early is that they need a routine and they need like predictability. Mm -hmm. And so when this pandemic started, for example, in March, we had a few weeks where we were just kind of floating around. And then I basically bought a whiteboard and I was like, that's it. Like we're making a schedule and we're going to stick to the schedule, even though we're in the house. Like, and then we did it together, like the four of us, like the kids and myself, and we set like certain times. So then they knew, okay, like, you know, at 9am, I'm going to go upstairs, make my bed, brush my teeth at this time we're going to go outside for outdoor time at this time I'm going to have my lunch and they just do so much better when it's structured. Mm -hmm. So we've just kept that going kind of like with school, like we've had to tweak it a little bit, but it's still kind of the same because of it. And then Henrik has to nap. So he naps at the same time and we've kind of like organized their school stuff around that. Mm -hmm. Are you the type of person to wake up and make your bed too? Or is that just something you're trying to get the kids regimented? <laughs> I make my bed. I have to make my bed. Wow. I do. Okay. That is like the first, that is actually like the first thing I have to do. It drives me crazy. We live in a really small house. Like our entire space is, I think about 1700 square feet, like for all of us. And so when it's not tidy, I feel like my brain is messy. Right. Mm, that makes it, sense. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It, le- it like needs to be like certain some 
parts of my house need to be tidy and like my room is kind of like one of the only ones well that, that seems to be a big sign of success i read these self-help <laughs> books it's like make your bed in the morning and then everything else will fall into place really are, yeah <laughs> okay i should read those books <laughs> are you an a-type personality yes definitely for sure yeah very common with a lot of successful YouTubers and uh, influencers. That's why we're, we're both trying uh, to get that way. And would you say that's the really the key to your success? Is that regimen? Making my bed? No, no. <laughs> Just be, being an A-type, being an A-type personality. I honestly, I don't know. I mean, I like to think that hopefully it's because people relate to me. So then they want to hang around. I have like a love hate relationship. I can't remember if we talked about this the last time, but I have a love hate relationship with what I do because while I love like sharing things like recipes and my workouts and like my daily stuff, I also do feel like sometimes it's a bit too much and it's not just like the negative stuff, but just like social media as a whole. Like I don't love that space. I think it invites a lot of crazy things and a lot of crazy thoughts and anyone can put anything they want on social media. And people sometimes, because they follow someone for a long period of time, they just assume that everything they're saying is, you know, hundred percent correct, or maybe that they're more knowledgeable than maybe people who actually are knowledgeable are. And so I just, it, like, I don't love that aspect of it and the clickiness sort of of it, because I think it can easily go sideways, not to get political, mm -hmm. but I think it's pretty like what we've seen over the last four years. And how, how do you shut it off with, uh, with a job that's seemingly omnipresent? Mm -hmm. So I have like certain rules around it. Like, for example, I will put like I'll post throughout the day, even stories, but I won't actually scroll. That's so cool. I'll go on. I'll just like post my stuff and then I leave it alone and I'll go back sort of at certain times, like when the kids aren't around, when the kids have gone to bed and then I'll actually like read my comments and respond back. And having my DMs turned off to everybody except for the people I follow obviously has helped a ton with that. And then I have like certain times that I do all of the, like my emails, for example, like I'll wake up earlier in the morning before the kids wake up and then I'll get online and do that because I don't want them to constantly see me like on my phone yeah. either because mm -hmm. then how am I going to tell them not to be on their screen? Yeah. Yeah. That's so tough. Whether you're an influencer or not, that's so tough, let alone if you're an influencer. I can't even imagine. No, that's something I struggle with, too. And with your kids being a little older, too, right? Like, how do you navigate them appearing on your blog? Is that something that you guys talk about? Is that something that crosses your mind? Like, what do you do there? Because as Lucy gets older, that's I'm like, when when should I start asking her? Like, should I ask her now? So, yeah, so I, it's funny because that was always like, I got criticized for that actually a lot at the beginning, like now a lot more moms put their mm -hmm. kids online and it's different. But um, at the beginning, like that was something I sort of struggled with. It's funny because I've talked to Johannes about it and I've asked him sort of like what his opinion is. And he has, there's certain things that he doesn't want me to post. And so we've talked about that. So now whenever he is going to be involved in anything, like we discuss it, like him and I, and 
nine times out of 10, he wants to be in it because he wants to be a YouTuber now. Like that's his big dream in <laughs> yeah. life. That's what so, I always tell her. I'm like, every kid wants to be a professional YouTuber. They do. He <laughs> wants, he, that's what he wants. And so he thinks what I do is actually really cool. And he thinks like, it's like the best. That's awesome. <laughs> and I try to explain to him that it's not. And at some point he'll get old enough that I'll be able to show him. Like, I actually do think there's some value in like, you know, some of those like websites and stuff that post like some negative things as well, because I think it's going to be a really good learning tool for him at some point. And so we've talked about it. So the other ones are younger, but I never force the kids to be in anything. So if they want to be in it, then like, that's great. And if not, then that's fine. Like I've also tried to kind of steer my blog and my content away from kids stuff more over the last like year and a bit. Mm-hmm. as well. Well, no, I I find, you know, your stuff so relatable in that not just that you're like a parent on the go with a million things on your plate, like I am, but it's like, you know, I like following your workouts. I started doing BBG because, you know, it just, you made it look so fun. And like you what posting is BBG? that, you know, those workouts that I do in the living room. Oh, it's the bi- BBG, yeah. So they're they're it's bikini body guide. It's the oh, worst. Okay. It's the worst name ever. But it they're great it workouts. A it's a terrible name, but they're great work great workouts, and I like doing them. But another thing that I find so interesting, especially over this past year, is you talking so openly about your stance on COVID, and we kind of started with that. And you know, you were born in Romania, correct? And Romania in the 80s was under communist rule. So I was looking up a couple things because for those that don't know, so I wrote these down so I don't get them wrong. So growing up in Romania in the 80s, there were restrictions on food, water, heating, electricity, television broadcasting was was reduced to one channel for only two hours a day. And in 1984, the government put out guidelines on how to eat nutritiously while reducing your caloric intake by 25% because they wanted to stop feeding the population as much. Mm-hmm. So when we're you know going through this pandemic, there's restrictions put on people. And you have actually lived through... Yeah, do you remember all that stuff? Yeah, I yeah. do, actually. Mm. So we used to have like, um, for example, for food it was rationed. So you Mm. couldn't just go and like buy eggs or flour or bread or anything, actually. Like you could make it obviously if you had like hens and a lot of people grew their own food, but everything else was rationed. So everybody had like this little, it was like a little passport basically. And you had to, first of all, you had to know when the food would be available. So like we would get word through God knows who, like my grandpa would get word that like eggs were going to be sold at the market. If you were a kid and you actually stood in line and you had your own passport to give them, you would get a bigger ration than an adult. But an adult at that time, for whatever reason, couldn't just go and say, oh, I have like three kids. Like you had to show some kind of proof. So you had to at least have like one kid with you. So anyways, I used to get up at like the most like ridiculous hours and go with my grandparents or whoever to like stand in these lineups. And then sometimes you'd get to the front of the line and everything would be sold out. Like they would have nothing. Cause it's not like they knew how many people were going to come that day or whatever. And so I remember like a lot of it. And then I remember obviously like the revolution when we Mm. had that and yeah so is that when you left Romania to come to Canada it was after that yeah like after communism fell my dad was like we're out of here like 
I'm not, he didn't think anything would change and he was right actually, because not a lot changed. Like a lot of the people that took over after were basically the same people, but in a different veil. (laughs) So when you came to Canada, was it just snack attacks all the time? Cause you could eat whenever you wanted. (laughs) Actually McDonald's was huge. Yeah. Cause we've never, we Mm -hmm. had no idea what like any of that was. My dad left first and he moved here. He was here for a year and then like kind of got set up. And then my mom and my brother and I came out a year Mm -hmm. later or so. Um, But yeah, we ate terribly. Like I remember my parents buying wonder bread and it was disgusting to me. Like I, I thought milk was terrible. I wouldn't eat like any of that stuff because it just tasted not like at home, like mm-hmm. milk, cheese, even tomatoes had a funny taste. Like everything had a funny taste. And I remember saying to my mom, like when I drank milk here at first, I was like, it tastes like medicine because it did. It tastes so chemically. Whereas like whenever I go and even when I go home now, like it tastes like milk, like milk here doesn't taste like milk. Are you just like straight from the cow? Yeah, like, but we would. Yeah, exactly. If my great grandmother had like a cow, like we would get pigs in the spring and we would raise them and then butcher them like in the fall and make sausages. Yeah. And so, sorry, I don't know if you guys are vegan. No, 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 we're not. No, this, this, this sounds delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people, it's funny because I had like, I don't remember what I promoted, but I had a bunch of people being like, do you know how they kill those cows and those pigs? I'm like, actually, I do. Like, I used to participate in this once a year. (laughs) I have no problem. That's a great answer. It is a great answer. And few people have that experience. But so what I was going to say, like having lived through like actual oppression, right? What's your take on people complaining about everything going on now and like since the beginning of the COVID outbreak because people like when they first told us to stay home two weeks like last March and they're like two weeks it'll be over guys and people were like throwing up their arms and you know causing a stir what's your impression of that having actually gone through shit sheer anger and rage like I'm angry at everybody. (laughs) There's a lot of anger issues going on here Um, because it's just not like, it's funny to me when they equate like mask wearing to the government coming in, like they have no idea if the government was going to come in and they were going to take over everything. They come in the middle of the night and they literally kick your ass out with a bunch of guns. And then they're like, bye, they're not going to start with like, little things like a mask like Mm -hmm. and anybody who's done any research would know what masks are for doctors have been wearing them for a very long time so that they don't infect their patients when they're doing surgeries and so on and so and to me like I grew up I wouldn't even say because as a kid growing up under communism it's different than being an adult growing up under communism because as an adult I think you understand a whole lot more like to me I was born into it to I honestly didn't even know anything was wrong until like we had like our revolution and then everything like my parents could finally like you know disclose to me that the santa or whatever wasn't real like in some ways because we i kind of looked at our government as like my father like that's what they would teach us in school like well that with nikolai his pictures were everywhere and like he he had the cult of personality thing so it was like that was santa yeah, that's kind of like what we were taught as kids. It's like, he is your father. Like, he is the father of this country. He loves us. He does everything for us. And my parents um, would tell the stories of like, they were always, and a lot of parents would never really talk about 
what they were really thinking in front of their kids. Like they had to be super careful because when we went to school, they would question us. And so if like, and, and it happened where kids would go to school and they would talk about, you know, oh, like mommy said this, daddy said this, like, you know, kids are kids, like, and then they would come and take you and you're gone, like never see you again, because that's what actual like oppression means. I was sorry. I was just going to say, what was Christmas like during those times? Like what was Santa a thing for you? Yeah, it's a bit, it was a bit different. I mean, there wasn't like, like we didn't have the same, it's not like we had like stores full of like toys and stuff to, for people to buy. So Christmas was more about like spending time with family and dinner and you'd get to kill an extra cow. (laughs) (laughs) A pig. Oh, the pig. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Or the sausage (laughs) and the bacon. (laughs) But yeah, it was like a lot of like our, I w- it, and it was all also like more about re- like the religious side of it versus the non-religious side. Like it was just less about like presents and things like that and more about like whose house we're going to go to to have what dinner kind of thing. And then when we had our revolution, it was um, at Christmas actually of like that year. So that year, my mom was like, oh, like Santa might not be able to come because I guess she had the gifts she had bought for us were at her friend's house because they were shooting and like storming the streets and stuff. Like she wasn't able to get out to go and do it or pick them up. And yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. So like, that's, you know, that's like experience that, you know, few can relate to. Like my grandmother lived under Soviet rule in Russia, but that's, you know, one more step removed. So to have somebody in our generation with this kind of experience to say, hey, like, look, maybe don't get so pissed off about the mask. Yet still a lot of people do. Like, did you get a lot of negative feedback? Because you are so outspoken about that. And anti-maskers are pretty intense from what we've uh, gathered. (laughs) They are, but they're, God, they're so dumb. Uh, sorry you can cut that out if you want or leave it in I don't hey. care <laughs> the opinions stated by Anna are not our own <laughs> no but they are no, they are they, ours also it's yeah they, they can be pretty intense I honestly I got in a bunch of fights with people at the very beginning but I actually I just don't care because my opinion on this it just really isn't wrong like it's backed by science and so I don't I I think they're kind of like a little bit too far gone. Like I've had the most ridiculous arguments with some of them. Usually if they're respectful, I will engage in some kind of like dialogue. Um, But if they come at it from like a pretty angry stance, usually I'm like, I'm just not going to answer you. Like you're blocked. That's smart. And I assume you're not following any of them now. So now you don't have to worry about it. No. And I honestly, I went out and I unfollowed. There were people who were like traveling at the beginning or, or like posting conspiracy theories, especially from the U S I, there was a lot of like moms that I followed in the U S that started posting about all sorts of nonsense. And um, I unfollowed them like right from the start. I just, there was no point in me even, having a dialogue with them about it i just clicked unfollowed and mm-hmm. no it's a smart thing to do I, there is there are so many mommy bloggers in the u.s that got caught up in the QAnon thing too and 
now that it's over, I saw a few of them make statements like, I'm not going to address, you know, my political beliefs anymore when they were so on the QAnon train when before Biden came in. But it's it gets so intense. It, it was just super triggering for me and like just very angering. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't handle following and like seeing it. No, it's the thing. And Instagram is what we make it, right? As consumers of other people's content, we have to stop following people and try to change things. If something's like serious and could use change, right? I think sometimes it's worth engaging in dialogue. But again, we're curators of what we see for the better, for the worst. I know that can sometimes just lead to more echo chambers. But, you know, during COVID, like our kids are pretty young. So we're lucky in that they're, they're kind of easy to entertain. But we do have a lot of listeners with older kids. And like, how how do you keep your kids entertained? Because like, I just, I don't even get it. So I think because I have three, they do, even though they're obviously more work because there's more of them mm-hmm. and they're louder because there's more of them, they do also have each other. So at the onset of this, I didn't have the same issues that I found, for example, like some of my friends that only had one kid had where they had to entertain them. Like my kids are happy fighting in the living room, like just having a massive wrestling match. And like, that's totally fine. And Johannes is a little bit older, like he's turning 10. And so he's the one who I would say is suffering sort of the most. The other two are, they're so easy, like at six and three years old, they're like, they're a dream. But Johannes is at the age where his friends are becoming a little bit more important than I am. And so I'm not kind of enough for him, you know, and even playing with his brothers isn't quite enough. Like he needs his friends, like he needs his, I don't know, his buddies. He wants to like do social things. And it was kind of difficult because, you know, some parents were continuing to do play dates and even sleepovers, even after lockdown. And for him, like he would hear about it. And then, you know, he's like, I know that I can't do it, but it hurts my feelings. Like he feels sort of like left out about it. So we try to, you know, like I got a projector screen and installed that to try and do like movie nights and let them play more video games than they probably should be playing. And then now that we're doing school from home, like we set up recess. One of our neighbors who's two houses over, she has three kids, like we're in the same situation and she's super strict with what they do. And so at recess, we like all let them out in the alley and they can just run back and forth with their scooters or whatever. So that's, that's the best. Yeah. So it's, it, the weather has helped a ton because it hasn't been that bad too, but. Yeah, I don't. I, I feel for parents with teenagers. I don't know how they're doing it, to be honest. What about you? How how are you doing when in the isolation? I'm okay, <laughs> I guess. Like lack of not seeing friends and like no date nights. Being in a smaller house with the three kids, you're you're coping okay. Yeah, like I think. I mean, it's it is what it is. Like it's not perfect. I think we're in. I'm in a good. Um, at least I have running. And so through that, again, like our neighbors who like we've kind of been with them through this from the beginning, they're a husband and wife. And then we'll either, I'll either run with the wife or I'll run with the husband. And then we like kind of trade off. So that's sort of like our social thing, like on Saturdays and Sundays. So that's pretty, I would say that's pretty good. And then group chats. Yeah. We can complain to other people. (laughs) Like I've kind of kept me, that's about it. The hardest for me, to be honest, like I'm not like a huge social person. 
So I never liked really going out like to parties or doing anything like that. I'm really close with my family. So not being able to see them, that's been definitely like the hardest part because mm-hmm. my parents were like, they would come over, they would trade off. Like my dad would come on Tuesdays. My mom would come on Wednesdays. And then on the weekends, we would either go there or the kids would go there or whatever. And we really haven't, like, we don't see them at all because they live with my grandma. So. Okay, Anna, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that we are supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. And it's the only clothing Lucy will actually wear yes. to every occasion, including to bed. I was just going to say, at bedtime, <laughs> as pajamas. And it's actually comfortable as a pajama and as something to wear to like... I don't know, church or something. Well, they look so sharp and Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity. So they have the best basics for your littles and fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft, comfy, as Shane said, and so timeless. So they can be passed from kid to kid regardless of their gender. And just to let everyone know, we went out of our way to contact Mini Miosh because we think that they are top of the pops and we are so glad to have them with us they are and they use organic cotton fabric so if this is important to you they really make an effort to get fabrics that are knit and dyed locally using gots certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes and if you shop mini miosh check out their knit collection which we love and includes organic merino wool upcycled polar fleece and sherpa fleece our favorite in that collection is the varsity romper it's incredible and mini miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on on it and they believe that every little bit counts so you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on instagram and facebook use the promo code this family tree 15 for 15 percent off your order this is huge it's available in canada and the u.s again that is minimiosh.com and this family tree 15 for 15 percent off the best clothes that you'll get your hands on and we are also supported by hello bello being a parent is hard like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. And every product they have, I can vouch for. Yes. From the detangler to the cream to the, what else do we use by the way? The diaper rash cream and the body cream, two creams and the oil. I've yet to find something I do not like. Uh, I doubt I ever will find something. Yeah, no. And they got it going on, man. They do have it going on, honestly. And they have a diaper bundling service that lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs because the diapers are so adorable. And each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-sized product freebie with your first order. Plus, after that, you can get 15% off of any of the add-ons like the bubble bath, like the wipes, like the diaper rash cream. And I personally love the detangler i use it it's watermelon scented and i use it for my own hair so to get hello bellows super soft super absorbent and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order that is huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved that's hellobello.ca promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order don't forget that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only, but this is a huge discount. You guys will love these products. Go check it out. But now let's get back to our interview with Anna. 
Do you prioritize or even care about having something like a date night with your husband at all? No, it probably should. (laughs) (laughs) I feel guilty saying it. Like Michael on Saturday was like, we should, let's watch a movie. Like, do you want to watch a movie after the kids go to bed? I'm like, yes, yes. Like, that sounds like a great idea. And then I passed out at eight and I actually like heard him come into the room, I think around nine or something, like probably after Johannes, because Johannes goes to bed later now too. And then he was like, oh, I guess we're not having that movie day. <laughs> I'm like, walk back out. I'm like, I, I probably should get up, but I'm so tired. Yeah, I, we used to, we used to do it, but not like, there's no way to have really a date night now. Mm-hmm. Okay, is it because of the third kid? So we have two and I'm like, you know, I want Shane to get a little snip so that we never accidentally <laughs> have the third. Is it as like just insane as I imagine it. You know what? The third wasn't a big deal. Really? I found it way harder to go. Yeah. I found it harder to go from, from actually I found it from zero to one was like a real trip. One to two, it was like, got really, really busy. And then it really wasn't, no, having Henrik, he was like, I call him magic baby. I mean, it's obviously more work, but he was so, he just fit. Like he just, I don't know. Like Johannes was, older he was six so he would take him and you know he would sleep on his chest on the couch and I could go and take care of Magnus or whatever I I actually really love having three he was an accident and then I got my lady parts like as opposed to making Michael get snipped oh you're nicer than me (laughs) well I had a c-section I figured they're already in there they might as well like there you go you know do the work but um I'm, I, I really love three. I think oh, it's like, awesome. a, it's a really good number. And then when the, when two of them fight, usually there's like one that like either breaks it up or, you know what I mean? Like it mm-hmm. just, yeah. it, it also helps. Or if one doesn't want to play. Yeah. There's one that's like a peacemaker. Like Henrik typically gets along with everybody. So he's like my, like he just, cause he's the baby, I think too, yeah. but he gets along so well with either of the boys. So if the two of the other ones are fighting, like he'll just kind of go in and Aww. make it okay. That's yeah. so cute. If Henrik ever asks, am I an accident? Do you admit that or deny till you die? I'm going to admit it. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to just tell me like you're an accident, but the best accident ever. <laughs> See, this is what we need to avoid. Yeah, this like this is what Ross. I'm scared of. <laughs> it is like Bob Ross. Yeah. Ha- yeah. But I don't want a happy accident in our life. So we do have to avoid this. No. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I find two incredibly difficult right now. Like we we have a two and a half year old and Betty is now six months. When do you think that's going to get a little bit easier for us? Probably when Betty's like closer to two. Hey, Jesus! Oh, someone told me nine months. <laughs> oh, geez! And, and I no. was I was hoping you were going to say the same. Okay. I found yeah. I honest. Well, maybe everyone's different. I find the newborn phase like the easiest phase, and then I find once they're mobile, like and when they're mobile but they can't express themselves because they don't have the words yet. That for me was the hardest part with mm. all my kids. Yeah, no, they, I get that. There's that's when the tantrums start, and then you can't like it's like psychological torture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus now, you're probably just exhausted. Well, we're exhausted, yeah. stuck at home, and I think all those things yeah. you know compile, and then they get overwhelming. And the nice thing is, like, we get to go up to our family cottage sometimes to decompress, but that's been our only 
decompression, the only way we can decompress since this all started. And before we leave, I'm dying to ask you, so you're building a cottage in PEI right now or a house. Like with your bare hands, you're building it? Well, she used to kill <laughs> pigs. What do you I know. think? Woman of all Are days. you really building it? Yeah, we're well. I'm not building. I'm not doing anything. I've never, I've never even been to PEI. Actually, I've never been to the, I've never been to the East Coast. So I hope it's nice. Oh my god. Um, (laughs) we, yeah, we we had um, plans actually to renovate this house, and when COVID started, like in June, I decided to like foster ducks. And when I went to pick up the ducks with the kids. It's like there's been a lot of COVID projects this year. <laughs> That's how I kept my kids entertained for it, like a good month, though, by the way, is like fostering ducks. Great Although, idea. Was, my house smelt like a barn. But, anyways, <laughs> we um, on our way back, we had to drive like pretty far. It was two and a half hours up north to get them. And on the way back, I just had this like horrible, overwhelming sense of dread of going back home. And I just didn't want to go home. And every house I passed that was like in the middle of nowhere, I'm like, oh God, like I wish I could just like turn my car into this driveway and be like, okay, I'm home. Like everyone get out and go for a run. And so when I got home, I started looking at, um, just other properties like in other areas and I just wanted to get as far away from like Toronto and this area as like humanly possible so I convinced Michael that we should build in PEI that sounds amazing it's an island it's as like far away as humanly possible but like still in Canada and you guys are good yeah. you're, you're gonna be right on the water how much time are you gonna spend there uh if it's up to me like maybe I'm not coming home We'll see. Michael's job is here. So we'll have to, we'll have to see. But the thing is, it just didn't feel like doing the renovation here. It just felt like a a bit of a gamble. It felt like putting all our eggs in one basket. Like we, at at this point, this was back in June. So we had no idea what was going to happen, obviously with our economy. Like, were we going to have jobs? Is Michael going to have a job? And starting a renovation here just felt maybe like not the best And whereas this opportunity came up, a girlfriend of mine lives on this little peninsula in PI and she was moving from Oakville there permanently. And so it's not, I didn't buy it completely, completely blind. Like I know I've seen her photos and uh, heard about it from her. And so, yeah, Michael was on board with the craziness. So that is still pretty blind. And I love that move. I think it's so great. And we love the east coast we love pei we made our first daughter in pei uh after (laughs) after a bar fight after we got in a bar fight together we (laughs) we were threatening to beat up a group of like 20 bros that were there from sault ste marie it was a karaoke incident i don't want to get into it but But we do we love PEI so much and I'm so excited for you and i've been following along with the updates and developments and everything and like i cannot wait for you you're gonna have a blast you're gonna have so much fun my last question though is uh where are the ducks right now do you just you get them to an age of maturity and just get the flock out of there okay so the lady who was doing this it's kind of a long story but basically you were just fostering the ducks so basically when they got too big or too smelly or whatever you would take them back to the farm. <laughs> whatever comes first yeah. <laughs> whatever comes first but what I realized afterwards and I didn't do any research at first like on this like I was just like oh fostering ducks like sold I just signed up and literally that night I got an email being like 
ducks are ready for pickup tomorrow. So <laughs> literally the next day, I like pack the kids up. And then I texted Michael who was at work, like as we were driving, I was like, FYI, we may have ducks when you come home today. Oh, man. Like and just so cool you know. That. He's such an easy human. That's <laughs> He's awesome. like, he puts up with all the craziness, but yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. And ducks today, PEI tomorrow. Like, yeah, he's down. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. That's so cool. So, um, no, it was, I, I didn't want to take them back actually to that farm because it turns out they were going to be consumed and I don't have a problem with eating duck. I eat duck all the time, but I can't eat like a pet duck you know? Yeah. And like these ducks had names, like we got really attached to them. Like they're very cute. I couldn't imagine eating like Stanley who was hanging out in my mudroom mm -hmm. for. Of course. Is it the same with pigs or is pigs different? Did you not name them? Yeah. Is that the I, did, I, I was, well, yeah. So it, it, my grandparents didn't tell me that those were the pigs that we were slaughtering until like I was about five I want to say so the first few years I didn't realize it was the same ah yeah okay wait yeah. my my truly <laughs> last question did you ever vegans turn it off now but did you ever like take part in the killing killing so my uncle yes mm -hmm. um I wasn't strong enough because I was little like to do the pigs and all of that but uh chickens yes oh, like just, just bare hands and snap their necks no. So my uncle at first would make me hold it and then he would cut the neck and then I would just let it go and then it would flop around a bit. And then once I got, <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> once their head's gone. And then when I got older, he let me like do the cutting. Oh, that's pretty oh, nice. cool. Once I got strong, but you have to be like strong enough to be able, like a, a chicken's easier obviously than, mm -hmm. you know, a bigger, a bigger animal. Anyways, the ducks are alive and they're happy and they went to a farm that like from someone I know who uh, she has a dog rescue and she has a farm and she took them on and oh, added amazing. it to her other farm animals that she has out there that they're going to live happily on this farm. And we see pictures of them online now. So, well, you have truly the most versatile resume of anybody that I have ever been acquainted <laughs> with. And I truly admire you for that. So Anna, for listeners who want to follow along with Anything that they, anything that you do, where can they go to do that? Just bluebirdkisses.com. That's the blog or at bluebirdkisses on Instagram. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Time really flew by. I Thank know. you. So I didn't ask one question I wrote down. Mind <laughs> you, I didn't know the communism stuff and the, the animal. <laughs> but yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Anna, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me. Have a All great right, rest you of your week. Night. Bye. Bye -bye. See ya. That was Anna. What a life. Wow. Isn't it amazing? And I love her story because it's just, you know, everybody is so interesting and everybody has this backstory that you may know, may not know. And I've seen glimpses of it in, you know, through following her, but having the chance to really get into it with her in this interview was so interesting for me. And I know of only grandparents who have had that experience, you know, living under you know, living in that kind of place. And it's just, it's amazing that she did. And I think her perspective is really valuable because of it. Yeah, she seems very tough. Like she could yeah. almost overcome any obstacle. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, which is not like me at all. But let's <laughs> let's go. A little communism could do you good. Yeah, I know. But now let's get to our interview. For all you wine lovers out there, mm. uh, this is the owner and founder of ED Wines, Elizabeth Davies. 
and she is going to take us on a, a master course of wine. Yeah. So again, if you have a Cap Franc, open that up. It'll be at least similar and, you know, give it a little tasting along with us. But first, Alex, we have to tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Tushy. Shane, the future of toileting has arrived. Yes, it has technically been around for centuries, but it's been hideously expensive, costing thousands of dollars. But now, the brand new Tushy 3.0 modern bidet attachment is here to level the playing field. It's stylish, eco-friendly, easy to install, and affordable. Man, I want this one now. We had the other (laughs) Tushy, which is great. I can't imagine it getting any better, but it must be. So the Hello Tushy 3.0 doesn't just cleanse your butt with a precise stream of fresh water like ours does it cleans itself too before and after it's used with the smart spray automatic self-cleaning nozzle so this is like a smarter version of what we have it has its own butler it does have its own butler ah i didn't even know that okay this is gold (laughs) it attaches to your existing toilet as all tushies do and it requires no electricity or additional plumbing it cuts toilet paper use by 80%. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so the Hello Tushy bidet pays for itself in only a few months. And because with Hello Tushy, you don't wipe it all. You just squat, poop, spray, dry, and go. So really, like, I only use what, maybe four squares to dry my butt after I go with a Tushy? I stopped counting when we first started dating. But sanitation with this is so simple. The Schmutz Shield, which is what this is called, offers easy cleaning and the knobs are naturally antimicrobial. So if you already got a tushy on your pot like we do, may as well upgrade. (laughs) But if you're new to the revolution, join millions of Hello Tushy customers right now and have a clean butt with every flush. My favorite part of having a tushy is the lack of clogs on Shane's part. So go on over to hellotushy.com slash this family tree and get 10% off your order and free shipping on the tushy bidet, which is only $79. This offer is available in Canada and the US. Again, that is hellotushy.com slash this family tree and you will get 10% off your order and free shipping. The upgraded ones, only $79? That's what it says. That's outrageous. But we are also supported by... Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best nursing bras that you will get your hands on. If you have a pregnant friend, a pregnant family member, if you are pregnant yourself, get these bras in your life. However, if you aren't pregnant and you still want this amazing comfort in your life, you can check out Bravado Designs' brand new everyday collection. They have no clips, but the same amazing comfort, amazing sleek style for your boobs. But I get so many messages from people who have gone the Bravado Designs route and they are always so happy. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of the website you go to, use the promo code ThisFamilyTree for 20% off your entire order. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com and this family tree 20 and tell them shane sent you <laughs> i'm kidding just follow the aforementioned instructions and you'll be fine but now let's get to our interview with ed wines founder and sommelier elizabeth davies now elizabeth thank you so much for joining us tonight so you are elizabeth davies of ed wine company and yes. i just i want to start off with you so you are a sommelier i am yes i uh have been for uh, about seven years now Okay. And where are you in that? Because I know it's a really rigorous process and like the level four is 
insane to to be able to do yeah. so where are you in that process so i've done so you're when you're talking about levels you're talking about the wsct program which mm-hmm. is the wine spirit education trust i've finished level three around seven or eight years ago oh. and then now i've moved into the stream of a court of master sommeliers which sounds very bougie but uh <laughs> it is so i'm, I'm it, well, it definitely <laughs> sounds the title sounds that way but i'm a certified sommelier with them and I'm I'm slowly working towards my advanced sommelier as well. So That's incredible. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. What exactly is a sommelier? Because I think most people just think it's the person in a restaurant who swings by your table and tells you which wines to pick. Or is is that all it is? Well, it can it can be a variety of things. Like back in the day there weren't necessarily as much of an emphasis on paperwork and credentials. A lot of it was life experience as well. Um, Now it's really nice. The industry is a nice blend of both. So it's not just, you know, your, your book smarts and how it is when you taste wines and et cetera, but it is also matched with your combined experience with working with people in wine. Mm -hmm. But really the job of a sommelier is to help bridge the gap. Cause I know I've been working in restaurants for 19 years. I don't know everything there is to know about wine. But how could you expect someone else to know even more, right? So our mm-hmm. our role is to try and help to find the perfect wine for you. Because not every wine is going to be for everybody. Yeah. But our job is to help you find the perfect wine. This is amazing. So this is, you know, Shane and I, we love to drink wine. I've, you know, done tastings in the past. And I know what kinds of wines I like, but I don't know why. I don't know the language to use when I'm talking about them, so I could never describe it to somebody else. I feel like Shane has a better palate than me, even though we just started. So this is going to be such a cool experience. And you, of course, are the proprietor, oh goodness, of ED Wines. So when did you start that business? I started it about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I alluded to earlier, I, I am in the restaurant business. I still am. Um, I work at a restaurant in Toronto, a nice steakhouse. I've been there for about 10 years. But I needed, and, and I'm able at the restaurant to open some incredible wines for many people. But And we have an extensive wine list. But I wanted to still focus on other areas of the world. I also needed to focus on other areas of my life too. So this worked out pretty well where... I could focus on being home for dinner more frequently if I was doing this during the day mm-hmm. instead. So this is a nice blend. I get a bit a bit of both doing both. So it's been three years and it's been a fun ride, you know, trying to predict what people might want and how they want to consume wine and how they want to learn about wine and uh, just trying to fulfill that those needs. So before we really get into it, just to break the ice a little bit for the listeners, for us, everybody has to say their favorite kind of wine and their favorite wine movie or show. Well, I, I didn't tell Shane, <laughs> so you can start. Everyone's going to say sideways, though, aren't they? I'm not. Okay. Me neither. Oh, wow. Okay. Hit yeah. me. All right. So my favorite wine, I normally like to divide it into categories of sparkling white and red, but Ooh. I won't. I'll just, I'll just go with champagne as my favorite. And my favorite wine movie is the first song, which was done on Netflix a few years ago, because I feel like it gives people a sense of what we do and how foolish and and pretty cool it is too I think is that the docu-series yeah well there's a it starts with a documentary it has three now uh, and then now they I think they have Psalm TV too which I haven't had a chance to catch up on but Psalm one so S-O-M-M I I feel like when my family's like what do you do I'm like watch this movie (laughs) (laughs) like you'll get it that's yeah how about yourself okay you're gonna say the documentary Yes, I am. So 
I, I like a good Brolo. I love a good Brolo. I like a good Zen. But I'll say, I don't know, just any Brolo. This is this is how sophisticated I am in my wine uh, journey. And I love sour grapes. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. That one's Incredible. really good, too. Incredible. Yeah. That one's really good, too. Yeah. It is wild. And Brolo is my favorite red wine. Is it? Well, there you yeah. go. See, we got, we got lots in common. <laughs> Okay, so for me, I'm not good at wines. I was just going to say red wine. <laughs> so Perfect. Yeah, okay, that red works. wine's my favorite type of wine. And then I was going to say sideways, but then again, that, that documentary you mentioned, mm-hmm. Sour Grapes, is so great is so that great. that might be it. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And for those listeners who are thinking like Sour Grapes, it's on Netflix, and I'm not going to tell you anything about it. It has a little bit to do with wine. You need to watch it. And I really can't say more because, you know, it's it just... seemed like you were going to elaborate. Oh, and for those wondering, <laughs> no. you just said where they no. can stream it. You yeah. have to watch it. And that's I'm leaving it there. OK. Yes. So should we get into this wine here? I'm, I'm here Hell, to learn. Yeah. Yes. Let's get into it. Okay. OK. So is there a special way to pour the wine? I'm going to ask dumb questions. There isn't. OK. No. Uh, and that's not a dumb question. No, there's no there's no special way to do it. If you want to get technical and formal about all that kind of stuff, you can. But mm-hmm. wine doesn't need to be stuffy. You know, sometimes I have okay. fancy glasses. Sometimes I have a mason jar, you know, and, and pretty much everywhere in between. Same thing. Just just do your best to get in a glass. And if you spill a little bit, that's okay, too. Okay. Along yeah. with the pouring. Now, I find that Shane and I always have a different idea of mm-hmm. how big a glass is. So do I pour up to here? Or like, well, do well, I pour up to it. here? What, like, do here. I pour up to the part where it peaks before it kind of curves up? That's exactly where you pour it to. Okay. Okay. And what what's your opinion? Was that your opinion? Or I just like same? a larger glass because I like to not be running back and forth to keep pouring the wine. The, yeah, and then you can say you had one glass of wine. Exactly. <laughs> yes. As opposed to two or three. Yeah, I, I get it. Is there a logic to? just the smaller glasses like this the smaller form yeah yeah the idea is wine the the taste of the wine in your glass will continue to evolve as it interacts with oxygen so if you fill it to the brim you don't really have the opportunity to swirl it as much and get mm. oxygen kind of in there and doing its job and then also when you pour it when the way the glass kind of goes out, that's going to give you the most surface area, even if you're not twirling your glass. It gives you the most surface area, so the most exposure to oxygen. Mm-hmm. And then you're allowed to kind of carry on and, and enjoy the wine as it evolves as you're kind of drinking it. So that's the that's the thinking behind it. Okay, so okay. first we, we twirl our glass. That's the first thing we do? Yeah, you can give it a twirl, or even your first step is just take a look at it. Okay. okay. Looking, at, looking at the wine, or just enjoying wine, period, as many senses as you can include, the more you're going to enjoy. Um, so definitely give it a look. You know, you don't need to spend tons of time staring into it, but mm-hmm. you give it a look, you'll start to realize, like, Alex, your Barolos tend to be like a, a nice garnet color that mm-hmm. you can almost see through, but yeah. then they have all this power behind it. This wine's a little more opaque. Yeah, it's very it, dark. Uh, yeah, it's dark. It's ruby, even purple in there. Mm-hmm. For people that are aspiring to learn more about wine, there's only a few grapes that give you that kind of purple color. So if you get a purple wine on a blind tasting, you're you're happy. It kind of narrows your world down. Um, but yeah, take a sip and then make sure you give it a little twirl and go to the nose from there. Yes. And then you can take a sip. Okay. If you're really okay. trying to taste it in an analytic way, I wouldn't sip it yet. Okay. She's spilling. <laughs> I just She's spilling. I'm licking it off my hand right now. <laughs> See, if you spill a few drops, it's no big deal either. It's perfect. This couch but is so much can... on it. <laughs> 
our, our house couches go through a lot. But smelling a wine, you can get a lot from this wine. Now, do you guys want to go first on what you smell or do you want me to go first? You please. Yes. I know sometimes when there, when there's a wine person in the room, it can kind of suck the oxygen right out of everything. But the truth is, is that you can't smell anything that's wrong. Even if you and I don't get the same thing, it's still the messages that are being sent to your brain. So for example, I always try and tell people, let's say I'm smelling this wine. I'm like, oh, it smells like pencil lead. And you're smelling this wine and you're like, oh, it smells like flowers to me. Mm-hmm. Well, we could both be thinking of the same time in grade two while we were sharpening our pencil and there's pencil lead. But maybe when you were sharpening your pencil in grade two, your teacher walked by right. and they had, really, they had a really strong perfume on. Our brains just make those connections. Oh. It, you know, the brain's That's really complex. So, yeah, it is interesting. So when you're doing this as a profession, you work on honing those circuits and making sure you're drawing the right conclusions. Mm-hmm. Can but I say I, one thing about it, though? Yeah, please. I smell, and I'm probably way wrong, cherry. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Damn it. <laughs> I'll edit that out. I, I, I only like keeping in the parts where I'm right. I do have a question because, you know, we talk about swirling it to get oxygen going. We opened our bottle like a half hour ago, but should we be aerating on the pour? Should we be aerating every bottle? A general rule of thumb is you can you can put red wine in a decanter mm-hmm. very easily and can't normally go wrong. There are some wines uh, that I'd be more cautious about, but like Pinot Noirs, I don't tend to decant too much. Gamay's, I don't tend to decant too much, but there's always exceptions to every rule. Okay. So if you want to keep it simple, go ahead. You can decant your reds. If you can't, don't worry about it. All it's right. not I like uh, that. Yeah, it's not super stressful. A wine like Barolo, if you're if you're having a special wine, I would let that open up for an hour or two before dinner if you can. <laughs> two hours. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. You can even okay. there's even some wines that can be open for days and still continue to evolve and be amazing. Wow. Like even without the cork on the top, they can just live and and keep changing, but those are some pretty special wines. Yeah, they'd have to be. Not, yeah, <laughs> not necessarily every everyday table wines. But for me, the first thing when I smell wine is I go with my instinct. And in this case, it's the fruit that's jumping out at me first. Mm-hmm. What I like to do, especially when you're starting to learn and, and you want to work on honing things down, I start, when I smell the fruit, I'm like, okay, is it red fruit? Is it black fruit? And then once I pick, or is it blueberries? Is it blue fruit or purple fruit? And then I try and narrow it down from here. So for me, when I smell this, you guys may agree or disagree, but it's red fruit driven for me. Mm-hmm. And then if I want to get more specific, I'm smelling things like cranberries. I'm smelling cherries, a mm. little bit of raspberry. There's also some black fruit to me on this too. I'm getting a little bit of blackberry, even some like darker, riper cherry too. Um, so those are the first things that pop out at me. Does any of that kind of make yeah, sense to you? But I said mind? cherry. I thought you said no. Oh, I thought you said sherry. No, as in cherry. Beverage. Yes, then good. you were bang on. Okay, You can good. keep that part in. Good. I was losing my mind. I'm like, I really was smelling cherry. I, okay. get, I get the cranberry thing a lot. Yeah. I definitely get the cranberry. And I never consider that to be a fruit. I always leave that out in my brain. Like if I'm thinking about fruits and wines and things like that, and somebody will say it, and I'm like, yes, yeah. yes. I get yeah, that cranberry. Yeah. It's the tartness. like the, Yeah. A little bit of like black currant in this too when mm-hmm. I'm talking about fruit. And then from there, once I kind of figure out, you don't, you don't need to go on and on forever about fruit, but it is, it is cool. And, and as you sip and taste it, even 20, 30 minutes from now, you'd be like, oh, and I'm getting this now or what I was getting before, I don't get it anymore. And that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the evolution. But there's a lot more to me 
in this glass than just fruit as well. For me, I get this nice kind of green pepper note or even a roasted jalapeno. I don't know if you're getting that at all. No, but I want to (laughs) be. Yeah, there's this nice kind of green aspect to it. And then to me, there's also this other aspect of kind of earthy, like twiggy, Thing. all of this sounds really scientific and no and, no you know, no, no. Make, this yeah. is this is the best and this is what I like about it because so first of all the power of suggestion maybe I am getting mm. a little bit of jalapeno mm. but I think it's so cool the things that you know I will get into tasting soon but what people say they can smell and taste like you said pencil lead like I know leather things like that and it's like we were even I forget where I was watching a tasting once and people were saying, oh, this has like, tastes like gravel. And I was like, how the hell can wine taste like gravel? And like just things like that. And it's so interesting to me how that can happen. But you get it when somebody says it. It's like, oh, OK, maybe I do. But it's your mind yeah. would never go there if you're eating or drinking something. Yeah, it, there's like it's a blessing and a curse when you're tasting wine with other people because the power of suggestion is nice because it helps make, make those connections for you. However... I could totally mess you up too and say something that's completely <laughs> not in the glass. And, and that's how powerful our brains are. You know, you can, if, if you tell me this is a white wine long enough, my brain might be like, oh yeah, maybe it is. Like if my eyes were closed, I'd be like, maybe this is a white wine, but we are in fact drinking red. So it's kind of a blessing and a curse, which is why I always like to ask people, I'm like, do you want to say what, what you think first? Mm-hmm. Or would you like me to go? Because often once a Psalm starts talking, everyone else is just like, oh, okay, well, I'll just kind of keep my mouth shut. But I always try to, especially when I'm seeing people face to face, I'm like, oh, tell me everything. Tell me everything yeah. that you think, because then it, it helps me get to know you mm-hmm. and your taste buds better. And then you can kind of play around and get the get the right wine for you. So it's really great. Are there yeah. sommeliers who have a bad nose, but can taste it well and detect things? Or is that not a thing? That's a good question. I've never thought about it that way. And I'll, I'll give you a bit of an explanation as to why. I've never thought about a good nose and a good palate. I have thought about it kind of what you you two were talking about earlier, where Shane, you might be what we call an innate taster. So that's somebody who innately has an easier time pulling flavors out. I'm not an innate taster. I initially thought I had a mentor tell me years ago that I should be a psalm. And I was just like, oh, like, I can't taste. I know I like wine, but I, I can't taste. I can't I, like you, Alex, mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what it is I loved about Barolo. I yeah. just knew that I loved Barolo. <laughs> and he's like, no, you can learn that. I was like, you can learn that. And he's like, no, it's just practice. So I, there are definitely people that are born that can innately taste wine a little easier. And there's people like myself that just have to work at it a little harder. But eventually you always get to the same place. Mm-hmm. And there's advantages and disadvantages to it being coming naturally to you because you don't hone the skill the same way at the start. And then eventually you kind of need to relearn some stuff. I wish I was an innate taster. I don't like. I don't like working hard for things. This is my I issue, know. It, it, it makes me nervous. But well, it's just a theory. I may not be an innate <laughs> taster, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But in- you're, you're officially labeled now. <laughs> but the the spitting out when you see people spitting out the wine, is it beyond just I don't want to get too drunk because I'm going to be trying so many wines, or is that it? You know, that's it. In a professional setting, I remember when I first started school. It was like day one, class one. Like you do not drink when you're working. You always have to spit because you always need to be of the right mind. Mm. So you don't normally swallow. You normally have what, what we call a spittoon and you're always yeah. spitting into it. And that same person that told me that I should be a song, one of the first things he did was he was like, and make sure you know how to spit well. It's like, oh. it's always embarrassing. We're in the one walking around, walking around the room with 
dribbled wine on your shirt. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, you don't want to be, you don't want to be that some. So yeah, you, you do generally speaking, don't drink, but in this, okay. this type of a scenario, it's kind of easy to have a couple sips and not mm-hmm. be so worried about it. When you have to learn how to spit well, is it like a forceful spit or just like a little, like shooting it out a little bit? What's the Yeah, trick? that's a good question. That was my train of thought too. And I'm just like, well, what defines someone who's good at spitting out wine? So I think it's comes down to personal style. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. I like to be subtle and, and, and kind of like quick and short about it. Other people, I don't know, might be more grandiose <laughs> about it. But, <laughs> but, but I think it, it comes down to your personal style. And mine's, mine's a little more subtle and discreet. All right. I but. like it. Okay. But should we take a sip? Yeah. Let's take a sip. Okay. Mm. See, it's tasty. I know it's tasty. There's a lot going on. This isn't... Um, I picked this wine on purpose for you guys just because you had mentioned a previous wine that you liked, yeah. of which was a blend. So what I did here is I picked one of the grapes, and the grape that we're drinking, spoiler alert to, to everyone at home, is a Cabernet Franc. So I've chosen a wine from the Loire, in, which is within France, that makes Cabernet Franc, and they make the world benchmark of Cabernet Franc. So I thought I would bring this for you guys to taste and figure out if it's Cabernet Franc you like, if it's Gamay you like or if you like the blend or, or, or what have you. But this is a really good example of Cabernet Franc. For me, when I take a sip of this wine, all of those fruit flavors that I have on the nose when I was smelling it in the first place, they're still there, but I find them in a lot more tart version. Mm. Like initially when I was saying the red fruit characters, I was just like, oh, you know, it's cherry and blackberry and it's, mm-hmm. it's ripe. And I, perhaps I didn't mention ripe, but it was, it was more ripe. Now when I'm tasting it, I'm like, oh, it's cherry and it's cranberry, but it's a really tart version. It really kind of mm-hmm. gets really fresh and really, uh, really acidic on the palate too. So it really kind of sharpens you up. And uh, I find wines that do that quite interesting. That tends to happen in wines that come from what we call the old world, which simply put tends to be Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so wines from Europe tend to have this, this characteristic where they smell perhaps quite right on the nose. And then when you taste it, it's a little more tart. Whereas if you're drinking the same grape from the New World, it tends to taste pretty much how it smells okay. um, the first time around. So okay. it's uh, it's always kind of it's always kind of fun to see that happen. So on the label here, it's, is it supposed to say when the grape was from? Like usually on the in the yeah. top left, doesn't it? I, I don't see yeah, it here. Yeah, it doesn't need to be on the top left. Oh, it okay. just needs to be on the bottle. And it's on the back in this case, uh, and it's 2018. So if it's 2018, that's just the year of the grape, right? The wine could have been bottled yesterday, theoretically. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the year that the grapes were harvested. So this would have been harvested, let's say, in September of 2018. But I think, do most people think that's when it was bottled? Like just like the the layman? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Perhaps I've always taken that for granted, and I haven't asked that question. To me... When it's bottled, though it matters, it definitely matters, um, especially as a wine professional, the weirdest details matter. But to me, I just think overall, I'm looking at the evolution of a grape from 2018 to now 2021. And whether all of that time was spent in a vat or an oak barrel somewhere and then it was bottled yesterday, or if a year of it was in a vat and then it was bottled. And often when we bottle wine, if they have the cash flow available, they'll let those bottles hang out in the cellar for a few years and really mm-hmm. kind of settle into themselves too. So it's it, to me, it's the whole process, whether it was bottled yesterday or if it was bottled two years ago or two weeks after the grapes were harvested. It all matters, but it's the total year that really matters to me. 
Okay. And do all wines get better with age? No, no, that's a really good question. So not all wines get better with age. And in fact, about you, you read stats like 90% of wines that are purchased are drank within hours of leaving the store. Mm. So back in the day, people used to age wine all the time. There isn't necessarily a market for that anymore. People, they need things faster. So people have started to make wine that is better to be drunk young versus to be aged in order to, to meet that demand. Because often wines that require age aren't necessarily very pleasant to drink right out of the gate when they do get released. So it's something like I have lots of wines that I'm really grateful to have that are in my cellar, but I won't, I won't open them for five, 10 years. And beforehand, yeah. it just kind of seems like a waste because they're yeah. not there yet. Where I have other wines that I'll make sure they get drank within the next year mm-hmm. because I, I prefer they taste better in their youth. So it's a secret language knowing. But. Well, I because I've had like one of the nicest bottles I've probably had is a Camus. And I've seen people with like cellars full of it. Just And it's like you can't drink all that wine in 10 years if you wanted to. So like a bottle like that, is it is it typically like the more expensive wines are meant to sit? Like could you could you figure that out by price? That's a good indicator, but it's unfortunately, it's not a foolproof indicator. Okay. I'll use Camus as an example. Camus makes some beautiful wines. They're always in demand. Um, mm-hmm. I know at the restaurant, everyone's always looking for Camus. Camus has a bunch of different wines, but they have the regular Camus, and they also have the Camus Special Select. Mm-hmm. The Special Select is more premium priced than even your, I'm, I'm going to use this term loosely, but your basic Camus. Mm-hmm. But what they do with Camus Special Select is they actually harvest the grapes two weeks after they would the grapes that they harvest for the regular Camus. And the reason why they do that is because they know that people aren't waiting 10 years to drink it. And if they let that fruit get a little riper, it's going to be more approachable if you're drinking it young. But if you were to taste both of those wines 10, 15 years after they were harvested, I would pick the original Camus. It'll taste better in 15 years. It it can get quite complicated. But again, people are, are keep kind of adjusting because consumers don't tend to age wines mm-hmm. as much as they used to like a decade or two ago. Okay. Foods I wanted to talk about. On your labels, it often recommends uh, which food would probably complement the wine or maybe the uh, the wines complementing the food. What is it about the wine and what makes it such a great complement? Oh, uh, that's a good question. So the relationship between wine and food is probably my favorite aspect of are my profession. I just love it. I, if you give me a great meal and wine pairing, I'm going to have over ate and over drank. <laughs> me too, minutes. but I don't know why it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I know why it's so good. It's the same way a chef is playing around with balances of flavors, whether it be sweet, salty, savory, sour, umami, bitter, all of these elements, finding the right balance is really what makes a chef making a, a magical dish. Mm-hmm. When you have a wine that complements that balance and enhances it, that's what it's all about. So there's a lot of science about the certain areas, flavor receptors of your taste buds that help kind of make those pairings exist. And there are some foods and some wines that are just easier to pair with than others. Mm-hmm. You know, pairing a red wine with tuna tartare is a challenging right. feat for me. I have my favorites that I go to, but I wouldn't have red wine with that easily. I'd rather have white wine or a beer, you know, okay, or yeah. spark- sparkling. Everything goes well with sparkling, but it comes down to figuring out the balance of flavors in the dish and then trying to find balances and flavors in the wine that match that. And the wine we're drinking right now, what would that go great with? Oh, this would be amazing with anything with roasted vegetables. Okay. This would be amazing with a burger. Mm. Like if I had a burger, like a, a pork based burger with roasted red peppers, goat cheese, avocado and a garlic aioli 
and this wine and fries. I'm very would... hungry right now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we see we have date night tomorrow and that's our night to order out. Yeah. You're giving me some inspiration. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but that that would be a great option. But anything like anything from the barbecue I find is really nice. So anything with grill marks mm-hmm. that would have, you know, that that charring mm-hmm. that can relate to that grilled jalapeno I was alluding to before. Yeah. I would like I like to play on those flavors with this style of wine. Man. Um, yeah. So So like a steak with some roasted vegetables would be amazing. Well, I love that, you know, the whole process of wine, like from when it is being put in the vats and bottled and everything, it's alive and it's this ongoing, ever changing process. Because even now, like Shane, if you smell it, right, Mm. it smells different than it did when I first started. I don't know if that's because I now have what you said in my head or if that's just because of the air, but it already smells quite different. Do you think? No, I can't, I can't tell. (laughs) But related to that, is it possible for a wine to taste different on the second time around? Because we had super, super cool. Super cool. Sorry, super cool. That was the wine uh, that was similar to this wine. And I had it again. And in my mind, the green pepper taste was so strong because the first time I had it, I was like, this is like pizza. And then the second time I had it, the green pepper flavor wasn't as intense. Yeah, it was subtle. Is that a thing where like it's almost like your expectations or something changed the the way it tastes? That is definitely a thing. I tend to taste the same wines over and over again as much as I can because just like they're evolving in your glass, they're also evolving in the bottle. Not at as quick of a rate because the oxygen level is contained in the bottle. But the wine is constantly evolving, both in the bottle, even more so when it's in your glass and experiences mm-hmm. some air. But there is, the, which is the science aspect to it. But we can never underestimate with wine, especially because we're playing around with our senses and our mm-hmm. brain, is that we can never underestimate the emotional side. Or in my side, I always say like the romantic side, maybe because I just, I find there's a lot of romance in wine. Oh, big time. But right. Yeah, you can just never underestimate your environment you know if you if you go to a winery and you're having the best weekend away and every winery you stop at you love everything and you pick up a few bottles and then a couple months later you're like oh let's open that wine and you pop it open you're like oh (laughs) it's like seeing a movie in the movie theater opening night versus watching it in your basement three months later without the crowd laughing Mm -hmm. along exactly yeah it's the same thing so there's the science aspect and then there's also the emotional aspect to it which yes the wines are constantly changing even right now i opened this wine last night because i knew i had given you this wine with tasting notes Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago and i'm like i need to see if it's totally different or not that's just me obviously being being a bit uh ocd (laughs) but i'm like oh no it could be totally different and i just need to make sure that everything's perfect so i opened it last night I opened it tonight, and uh, last night and tonight, they taste the same. I like that professionalism. I know. (laughs) Now, for me, this is an amazing, fun hobby. I want to really get into this. I'm like, I think I'm at my my, peak obsession of getting into this. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about it. But is your husband, Tim, is he on board? Or is it like, okay, let's just get a little tipsy here? (laughs) Yeah, uh, he's very, very supportive of my career. Um, Very much so, especially when I have to open really nice wines to look into them. Yeah. He's really supportive. He's also very supportive when I was pregnant because I would have to still be tasting wines and I would only have a sip 
mm-hmm. he would have to finish the whole bottle. So <laughs> poor guy. Yeah. yeah, he was drinking for two. He really, uh, <laughs> really, really did a good job at that. No, he's great. I actually, you're making me think of a story of my brother a few years ago was visiting and he was hanging out with us and he was like, hey, Tim, what's it like drinking wine with my sister all the time? Like, is it really annoying? Is she always like overanalyzing things? And he's, and he's like, oh, no, it's fine. He's like, I don't really know what she's talking about, but I get to drink some good wines and it's cool. And my brother's like, like, dude, yesterday you said you're really into drinking cool climate pinots. He's like, nobody <laughs> even knows what that means. You know? He doesn't even like, know how advanced yeah, he is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. My brother's just like, I don't even know what that means. You know? Yeah. So No, but he's by osmosis. He's definitely learned a lot. I really like having him around to ground myself because sometimes you can get kind of too analytical about yeah. stuff. So he's, he's a really good kind of temperature gauge for me. So I got to say, you included tasting notes with this bottle as you do with every bottle when you order from ED Wine. But I think we should talk about what we're tasting now. Yeah, so, I think so too. Oh, sorry. No, yeah. that's all right. No, that's okay. Because I'm really starting to get it. But before we do, is there a proper way to sip it? Or like, do I keep it in my mouth like for a little while? Do I just swish it down like an oyster? Like how long does it sit on my tongue? It is something that I don't particularly want to do for your listeners because I, it might be like nails on a chalkboard for them. But if you take a sip and then you let a little bit of air come in, like do it, you got to do it. In and say, I got to do it. So do you see that? So when you take a sip, don't fully close your mouth and take a little oxygen in as I'm gonna, well. I'm going to do it right inside the mic. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Okay, Shane, you go first. No. The innate taster. I you're feel the innate, so uncomfortable. You're the innate no. taster. You put me on a weird pedestal that makes me uncomfortable, and I have a professional watching me right now. Well, no. You know I don't right, like that. All right, hold you on. Go. Hold on. Hold on. Let me let me do that move again. Okay. There might be a little bit of tartness here. Like, is that the cranberry that we were smelling? Yeah. So okay. there is tartness, but there's also, you might be describing what is the acidity in the wine. Right. Mm-hmm. So structurally, wine has several elements acidity is one of them tannin body these are some some other elements that you know the alcohol level that help really kind of give the overall structure and the framework of the Mm -hmm. wine and then the other things like the cranberry to me i'm getting the twigs again i'm getting leather i'm getting those those bell peppers in a more subdued way than i was um when i first took a sip now that it's kind of chilling out my glass a little bit Mm -hmm. those are less of the forefront they've kind of stepped back a little bit but I would say that tartness is going to be a combination of the fruit that you're tasting but also the acidity level okay and acidity in wine is really good because it helps your mouth salivate which makes you ready for food mm. so it's a it, it like preps your palate to do kind of your next step so acidity I mm. you know everyone's going to have different tastes and preferences I happen to really enjoy acidity in wine probably because I tend to always have wine with food mm-hmm. but the acidity here really gives a really nice freshness And then from a technical standpoint, this would help this wine kind of last a little longer in the cellar. It would also, you know, protect this wine from bacteria and things that that can come up from time to time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Shane, what is one thing you taste? Uh, I was going to say it's uh, the acidity. (laughs) (laughs) I was. I was going to say it seems more like an acidic wine. The problem is I don't know the words to even say. That's like me. That's why we're learning, isn't it? Yes. So when you ask me, it's like I don't even know how to describe what I'm really tasting. What you're taking in. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. when someone says they taste leather, does that mean that the person made the wine and they're like, I want this to have a leather taste. So I'm going to put in leather in the barrel or something? 
Yeah, you don't necessarily have that much control. One way of adding a leather component is having a wine spend some time in oak. Okay. Oak okay. Can, come some, can sometimes give a leather component. But otherwise, the same way that this wine has compounds that bring out kind of a green pepper note, this wine also has compounds that bring out a leather note. Okay. Um, so this, the grape lends itself towards that flavor profile, but another way of getting there or another way of enhancing that would be to age it in oak for a little mm. bit and kind of let those flavors develop. Now, when you talk about tannins, because I know that that's like the thing that, I, well, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's the thing that controls the color of the wine, right? Like how dark it is and how light, like if you twirl your glass, shouldn't you be looking for something to do with tannins? That's a good question. They can be interconnected. Okay. Um, the color, the color of the wine actually comes from the skin. So even a, if you were to take a red wine grape and a white wine grape, if you were to just squeeze the juices out and not let it have any contact with the skin, the, the color of the juice is actually essentially the same. Okay. For all intents and purposes, grape juice is clear. But it's letting that, when you crush the grape, letting that grape juice hang out on the skins over a longer period of time, that extracts the color and the pigment from the skins. Mm -hmm. Also, some grapes are just darker in color than others. But you're not wrong. There is a correlation because tannins, which you can find in many plants, there's many examples of tannins, but when it comes to wine, you're going to get tannins from the seeds, the skins, and the stems. Okay. And what tannins are, it's the same effect if you've ever had an, like a really oversteeped green tea mm -hmm. and it kind of dries your mouth out or dark chocolate or yes. walnuts, yeah. you know, the bitter astringentness yes. of, like, of almond skins, that is tannin. Because I've oh, had okay. lots of wines kind of, I've had that feeling drinking yeah. wine mm -hmm. a lot. And right now, if you pay attention to your gums, in, like in between your cheeks and, and the outer part of your gums, there is like a drying effect that's happening, mm -hmm. at least for me. I feel like uh, And that's yeah. the tannin. Yeah, on your teeth, on your tongue. An extra nerdy fact is if you're getting, tannin can also come from oak. And if you're getting a lot of drying, like as if you're at a doctor's office and they put that, you know, mm -hmm. wooden compressor oh, yeah. on your tongue. If you're getting that sensation, I am. and this is next level nerdy, that comes from oak. So was oh. this, did so that's this oak, sit in oak, oak tannin? Was this right. in an oak barrel then, this wine? Yeah, this would have okay. spent some time in an oak barrel. Nothing, um, nothing like it would have been an older oak barrel, so it's not imparting like crazy vanilla mm -hmm. components, but it does provide that texture and kind of that roundness in the mouthfeel. But when we're talking tannins, it's that drying feeling. And then if we're looping back to about balance, so tannins dry out your mouth and the acidity refreshes your mouth. So a, a balanced wine can play around with both. And ideally, you would have both, you know, kind of counteracting elements happening at the same time and then giving you a nice complete picture. That is, see, I love how that works out. And it's so cool. And this is the thing about wine, whether it's, you know, evolving on its own or like actually doing things to you physically or physiologically, like that's the coolest thing. And now it when, is really cool. When we say body, I, again, I, yeah. I say like if I'm having a wine with Shane and this is just us two bozos sitting on the couch and it has lots of flavors oh. or something or it tastes deep, I'll be like, oh, that's a full bodied wine, mm -hmm. but I have no idea and I'm talking out of my ass. So what does, what is that? No, you're good. You can fool people. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, that's a good, good way of structuring it. So yeah, exactly. You've got it. You have like a good general sense of it. Body is not is less of a, it's not scientific the way that tannin is. It is more of an overall perception. And there are many things that can affect the body of a wine. But 
from a wine perspective, if you were explaining, you know, a light body versus full bodied wine, it's kind of the same way if you were to describe milk, you know, be like, this is skim milk or this is whole milk. They're both still milk. They're not like they're they're quite different, but we're still talking about the same things. Mm-hmm. Wine can be the same way. So Pinot Noir tends to be a light-bodied wine, so mm-hmm. that would be on your skim milk side of things. And a Cabernet, like a Cabernet Sauvignon, tends to be quite full-bodied. And you can you can go anywhere in between. But generally speaking, things like having a lot of tannin, having a lot of alcohol, having fresh acidity. Actually, acidity kind of diminishes, makes it appear like it's lower-bodied, but those things that make it kind of feel big, mm-hmm. that contributes to something feeling more full-bodied. Whereas okay. if there is fresh acidity and not a lot of tannins, it, it kind of makes it feel a little more light-bodied. See, I didn't know what tannins were. This That clears a lot of things up for me personally. And I just want – so I want to talk about a wine that I know really well. It's just like a Zinfandel, like yep. a Red Zin. I drink those a lot. Uh, I like that some of them have a really smoky flavor to them. So what yeah. it, what's causing that smokiness? Or if I'm trying to describe it, like, is that, what is that? You can call that smokiness. And depending on where the grape is from, mm-hmm. if it's from Italy, it, it might be part of like the wine structure itself. So Primitivo. Okay. Um, I do California Zins mostly. California Zins. Yeah. So that might come from, from oak in some way, shape okay. or form. So what we do, not we, winemakers, I'm, I'm not a winemaker, but what, what winemakers do is they purchase oak, but they toast the inside of the barrel. So that helps provide some of the smoky flavor. You can do a light That's toast, cool. you can do medium toast, heavy toast. It can, you can go crazy, but that helps impart that smoky flavor. Okay. So it's probably fresher oak usage. Yeah. Okay. That's. I see. I didn't even know they did these things. And the wine we're drinking right now, it would definitely be a fuller bodied wine, right? Because I'm feeling a little like tipsy right now and I don't feel like I've only I don't know, had... But I don't know if that means... The, the higher the alcohol content. Though. Is it? That's what she said. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, well, it, there's, there are many things that contribute mm-hmm. to full body, but yes, alcohol is one of them. This one, my guess is about 14, five. Yeah. This is 14, 14.5% You're alcohol. Good. So that's, well, <laughs> um, I, dr- I drank it yesterday just in case. No. Um, the, this is on the higher end of the warmth scale and I can feel it too. I'm, I'm blessed with, uh, essentially translucent skin. I'm so fair. <laughs> So I, I'm really uh, pretty good at judging alcohol because I get really flushed really easily. I get the same. Yeah, yeah she and does. I can I can feel it in my cheeks. And if you were to touch my cheeks, it's hot to the touch. And you know we've we've just had a couple of sips here. What does it range from typically the alcohol percentage? Yeah, the- usually alcohol. I mean, if you read books that were published five years ago, people will tend to say like from 11 to 14 and a half percent alcohol. Okay. But yeah. with climate change all these grapes are able to get much riper than they did five years ago. So the alcohol levels are also creeping up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say, you know, 11 and percent to pushing 15% is oh, normally wow. the range. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought, I guess it makes so much sense that climate change is changing the wine game, but I never actually yeah. considered that. That's interesting. And, and 2018 was a very warm year. I mean, vintages are kind of hard to say on a global scale, but 2018, pretty much across the board was a pretty warm year. Um, and it was in France. So this, this makes sense that the alcohol would be a little more, more mm-hmm. elevated. Is ice wine the, the worst wine out there? So ice wine deserves um, a lot of cred. It is not something that us as Canadians consume very often. In fact, we probably all have a bottle that we were gifted. That's what I was going to say, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. and you have no idea what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I have easily a dozen ice wines in my fridge downstairs, and, and I very rarely open them up, and I know when to open them up. I know how fantastic they are. They're really hard to make, but globally, particularly in Asia, ice wine is a very coveted and very special mm-hmm. drink to have. Sweet wines, like we're talking hundreds of years ago, used to be the thing that you wanted, and it's because they didn't have sugar in their diet. Us, this is my perception at least as to why people are gravitating towards dry wines is because we have a lot of sugar in our diet, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we were making those burgers to go along with this, we wouldn't necessarily know or even consider that there's maybe sugar in the bread, depending right. on where you got the bread or, or maybe there's sugar, maybe you put ketchup on it, and there's sugar and ketchup. So yeah. our bodies get satiated with our sugar needs very easily. So we're not craving sugar the way they used to. Uh, where some other diets contain less sugar, so they they enjoy sugary wines. Mm-hmm. Also, taste and preferences and all that kind of jazz. So ice wines are really hard to make. When I drink them, I really enjoy drinking them with blue cheese. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. again, with, with pairings, it's about yes. playing on opposites here. A lot of people will have it with a nice, you know, uh, I don't know, roasted pear dessert. Maybe mm-hmm. for me, I like to go the opposite. I don't I don't want to do sweet on sweet. I want to do sweet with you know a, a salty blue cheese, or I want to do sweet with some fog off I wanted to be like really mm-hmm. fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that would be how I would drink ice wine. And then for me, my favorite wine, it's tough. If, if, if I was stranded on an Island, it would be champagne. Champagne. If I, I didn't if even I know champagne it. was wine. That's mm-hmm. crazy to me. I thought it was just oh. a different thing. Yeah, no, that's fair. It is, but it's, uh, it's kind of, it's its own segment, right? You have red wine, you have white wine. You have sparkling wine. You have rosé as port. another option. Yes. Yeah, port. you have port. Yeah. You have ice wine or, or dessert wines. There's there's lots more segments of, that we don't necessarily think of. Mm-hmm. We normally think red and white, especially when it comes to, you know, everyday drinking. I'm a huge proponent of sparkling wine all the time. My I when I visited Champagne, which I was very lucky to do a couple That's years amazing. ago. Yes. Champagne is a place in France for the people who don't know. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Champagne is a place in France that makes that specializes in sparkling wine. And it is the benchmark globally on how to make sparkling wine. You can make sparkling wine outside of champagne, but you can never call it champagne. Mm -hmm. Only in only in that region can you do so. But they've been doing it. Um, you know, for hundreds of years and, and they do a really good job of it. But when I was there chatting with winemakers and chatting with wine professionals, everybody there had stories of their grandmothers drinking champagne every day yes. and everybody lived to 110. Yes. So I try to always put champagne in the fridge <laughs> as like a life, as my life goal, you know. And then for white wine, I tend to like something really simple, like a nice, crisp, easy white. What's your go-to champagne? This this will end up making me be a, a bit of a brat and... <laughs> I, I want to preface this where I cut corners in other ways yep. so that I can spend my money. On As camping. we all do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is a priority to me because it's my profession. I'm doing my best to explore as many what we call grower producers as possible. Okay. So there are a lot of big houses like Dom Perignon, the Frico, mm-hmm. uh, Moet that a lot of people are familiar with seeing in stores. I don't tend to drink those ones these days because I'm trying to explore these kind of essentially what they are is are farmers that grow grapes and then make their own champagne because they're pretty cool to explore. That so is Eric cool. Rodez is, is one of my favorites right now. But. And and that is outrageously expensive, I assume just because of the, no, the it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, 
champagne in general is expensive to make mm-hmm. and then it has the cachet behind it so they can charge a little more mm-hmm. it's definitely an expensive wine it, it tends to be between 70 and 100 dollars, but you can do four or five hundred dollars for a bottle too but yeah that's so obviously next 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 level i have a lot of italian friends and they always you know they amp up prosecco when it being compared with champagne how does it, I don't know if you're Italian or not, you might be, but uh, how, how does Prosecco actually hold up to champagne? So I, uh, they are made slightly differently. Prosecco okay. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Prosecco is a really great, much more affordable way to enjoy sparkling wine. And the way they do that, I don't want to kill too much time, but normally champagne has the fermentation happen in the bottle. Where, and that takes a lot of time and money and space. Where Prosecco is able to cut costs down is they do this second fermentation in large vats. So they're able to speed up the process and then do it in a lot more cost-effective way. As a result, they're able to pass that cost savings down to the consumer. There are certain elements of the flavor. The way that that technique, it kind of amplifies the grape flavors as opposed to the flavors that the yeast bring Mm -hmm. together, which is what champagne kind of focuses its energy on. Mm -hmm. So they're different, but amazing. You know, Prosecco is fantastic. It's bright. It's fresh. It's very mm-hmm. easy to drink and much more budget friendly. I like it. So is yeah. there anything else that we should do with our glass that we're currently sampling? No, I anything think you're good. Just learn? keep, keep, keep okay. yeah, keep at it. The, I think the most important thing to focus on is just trying to establish if you like it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Every time you drink wine and, and again, it evolves over time. But if you just keep trying and asking yourself, okay, do I like it? Or uh, did my boss say that this was really good and I feel mm-hmm. like maybe I should like it for that reason. But if you can ever just stop and take a second, you don't need to spend a lot of time, but that's the most important question is if, if you like it. And then if you can find ways to articulate what you like or don't like about a wine, then that's great. That just helps kind of the communication process. But generally speaking, you know, if you go to a restaurant, ask and tell them what you like. And, and if you can't articulate what you like, just tell them what you've been drinking at home lately that you Mm -hmm. like, that gives us a lot of information. Or if I were to ask you like, do you drink tea or coffee? You know, do you drink orange juice or grapefruit juice? That kind of helps us too. So it doesn't, you don't need to know everything, but always ask questions. And what's your favorite red wine? I'm going to write it down. Pio Cesare is, is, so Mm P-I-O and then a new word, C-E-R-A-I. That's, I didn't spell that right. We'll look it up. I'll find it. I'll pull it. I'll send you a picture. Okay. I'll send you a picture. It's my favorite. That's awesome. And those those ones last a long time. So is that affordable? It's Barolo is is more premium, mm-hmm. but it is it is affordable uh, on the Barolo spectrum. Uh, it's probably about forty five dollars a bottle. Yeah. But if you try their Barbera d'Alba, it's like I want to say it's twenty five dollars a bottle. Okay, and you get a lot of value there. See, we it like tastes- doing Barolo. Uh, we would before COVID, we would go away to Prince Edward County for my birthday every year. And we'd pick up a Barolo special for my birthday night. And then we'd just do like PEC wines for the rest of the trip. But that's a good one to know because I have never heard of that and got to try it. Have you tried Red Rabbit? I have not tried Red Rabbit. Oh, we like that one. I like that one. But again, I'm new at this, so it might be terrible for you. No, I'm going to check it out. (laughs) Prince Edward County wine. It's good. I'm going to check it out. And I'm I'm trying to think. So like, you, you know, you mentioned that we can be so influenced by things and I feel like sometimes I get influenced even by price of uh, course I think everyone does yeah mm-hmm. but like I had yeah. so god is it Chateau Morgo is yes. that okay yeah so I had a Chateau Morgo maybe I wasn't even of age maybe 15 years ago when I was about 16 and in my mind 
that was one of the best wines I've ever tasted. That's one of the best things I've ever tasted in my mind. But it might be because it was so expensive. What's Was it one yeah, of the best was, things I ever tasted? That's probably one of the best wines you've ever tasted. <laughs> okay. um, it is one of those wines, like anything, we're all influenced. There's a reason why us as professionals, we taste things in what we, in a term we call blind. Mm-hmm. So for one another, we'll line up, like if another Psalm friend of mine is around or if we're at work, I'll pour them four wines and I'll be like, I'll come back in five minutes. Tell me what you think. And we taste them without knowing because we're all influenced by marketing. We're all influenced by, oh, I think I really like this or I think I don't like this. And automatically you kind of write it off. Yeah. And then once you come back and tell them, we're like, oh, shoot, I thought I didn't like that wine at all. And here it is. It tastes amazing. Yeah. Um, so we're all influenced. But Chateau Margaux is uh, lives up to its price tag. Okay. All right. All right. I'll remember that. And I will hold yeah. on to that memory because <laughs> I don't yeah. think I'll ever have it again. But Elizabeth, thank you so much for sitting and talking to us who are wine morons and kind of leading (laughs) us this way and starting our journey with us. This is so exciting. Anytime. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. You guys are fantastic. Thank you. And where can people find you, find ED Wine Company online? Oh, yeah. So um, if you want to check out the site, it's edwine.ca. But if you want to reach out to me on Instagram, I'm there too. Uh, my handle is at edwineco. It's kind of nice. You have a little psalm in the back of your pocket. You can shoot me a DM and and I'll uh, make you any recommendations and, and we can get you looked after. But it's all about kind of spreading wine and making it fun and approachable and keeping kind of the negative aspects of pretension and stuff at bay and just focusing on the juice. You sure as hell do. And thank you again so much. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday night. This is my favorite yeah. Tuesday thank ever. You. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I thought this would be a 20-minute segment. I just got so <laughs> interested and I, I kept thinking of more questions. So thank you for your time. I really do appreciate oh, it. It's honestly my pleasure. Thank you both. <laughs> Take care. All right, you have a great night. Okay, wow. Do you know everything about wine, Alice? I feel like I am at a way better place than I was. And I wish we could have her here with us and go through three more bottles because that was so much fun. Yeah, I did start to feel tipsy at the end. Me I was too. getting worried. We I only did. had one glass. I know, but that was a full-bodied wine, though. It was which full-bodied means wine. Higher alcohol content. I believe it was the highest you could actually get in wine. Mm-hmm. And wine usually gets me that perfect buzz, but I feel like this one. Well, I actually, I know this one gave me a mini hangover. The next day, <laughs> yeah. I had a, a a very sharp headache. I did too. And I typically don't get that with wine. And this was a great wine though. And we did put it on our list as one of our favorites, but this wine would be one to stay away from if you have worked the next day, maybe. Yeah. And you're planning on drinking the full bottle. That's what you mean. Well, even if I drank half a bottle, I I had a hangover. That makes sense. Sorry. I was, I was agreeing with you in a weird way. Cut this when you do it, but don't tell me what to do. I'm the editor, Alex. I'm the editor. We talked about this. This stays. This is good stuff. People like hearing us like this. I'm sure they do. But now let's get to our end. Would you mad at me? No. That's oh, too much. But now let's get to our listener mailbag segment. This is where you send us questions. Alex answers them. And then I give my reaction to them. And I have not heard any of these questions. So if my reaction sucks, that's why. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. So our first question How has working from home changed your relationship? So I'd say there's some pros and cons. A con 
is that it's hard to turn off and we we talk about that a lot and it's hard to stop talking about work because not only is home Shane's office for his nine-to-five job but it's also the place where we work together and do this podcast together and everything and that makes it pretty difficult so sometimes we bring our work frustrations into our relationship which like we said earlier we are really trying to separate and I think we're doing a good job but the pros because there are pros too in my opinion I want to hear your take Shane after but I think we understand each other better in the sense that we understand what's expected of each other so you know I get to see what you're doing for your nine to five and I know the work that goes into that and then when we are doing podcast work you know the work that goes into that and you get to see also what I'm doing with the kids every day and how long it takes to do feedings and bath time and just get them changed to go outside and all those little things. Mm -hmm. So that is helpful. And also I think because we work together, it's also added a very fun element. Like there's always this, we feel like we're playing a game sometimes. So it's like if one of us comes up with a good idea at nine o'clock at night, yeah, maybe on one hand it sucks to bring up work when we're trying to chill. But on the other hand, it might be lots of fun and give us something cool to talk about. Yeah, sometimes when I'm dying for a break, I have the break and then I'm just itching to get back into (laughs) a little fun work idea because sometimes work can be fun, especially in the social media sphere. But like you said, hard to turn off and sometimes you absolutely have to turn off because burnout is such a real thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely con is the burnout, but a pro is I get to see what you do and Mm -hmm. you're so good at it. Uh, Case in point today. You were saying, Shane, like maybe you could make French toast for Lucy in the morning because you, you're you sleeping in the morning, right? Yeah, because Betty is still up all night. Yeah, and when you need that sleep because you're, you're up half the night and I'm, I'm sleeping away. So we try to compensate for that by from 7.30 till 9, you have uninterrupted sleep and I'm with the two girls. Anyway, uh, you asked me to make Lucy French toast. And for me, that is an impossible task because we got Betty crying and cooing and... Lucy's running around wanting to build forts and it's I'm just like Alex you don't understand this is impossible to do which of course you would roll your eyes at because you have enough experience you know how to navigate those waters yeah so I cannot do that but you can much in the same way I'm a professional in the editing room (laughs) I can do something in two minutes that you can do in an hour you can do something in two minutes that would take me an hour and a half in the the parenting world. Right. So I have nothing but respect for you in that way, which is eye-opening to see it firsthand. Very cool. And uh, yeah, we're definitely much better team. We understand mm-hmm. time management way more. It seems like we're proing it up too much. <laughs> we're proing it up a lot. But I think a huge con, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate, is that it's all happening in the same space. So, you know, it does, it does make it harder to like it's turning off in a different way so like not just turning off your brain from work but being able to kind of separate the areas of your house that are for relaxation for intimacy for work things like that because everything's happening everywhere all the time and i think that just adds to stress for everybody yeah and i and i guess the a major con and this is so obvious the the markers of things to look forward to that was such an important yeah. part of stress relief in the before times where if you had a vacation coming up that could kind of get you through some rough times if if it was of the february which we're going through so i struggle with what am i looking forward to and instead of long-term things to look forward to now it's the short term uh date night looking mm-hmm. forward to pizza night 
pizza night, right? Because our weekends aren't that different, yeah, but we, we try work. to make them different. Like it's not like it was in the before times, but yeah. Uh, also, speaking of time, what thing I like is now if I have a really stressful period, I know that time goes by fast and it will pass faster than it mm-hmm. seemed to before. Time would drag, days would drag. And now, you know, you'll have moments where the day is dragging, but overall, everything goes pretty quick. Good question. Yes. So the next question, Shane, this is all on you. Tips for dads in the delivery room. My husband is worried that he's going to faint. The only thing I could say here is maybe to make sure that he doesn't stand past what your waist and, you know, helps you out from the side or from behind you. They block the area off pretty well. You're not seeing anything too crazy. I would, you, you get woozy easily. Like yeah, blood I don't and like everything. needles. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm covered in cool tattoos, but that's not to say I can actually <laughs> handle a needle penetrating my skin. That That is hard for me not to faint. But caffeine is important not to have too much because you can, you're can you liable to get into a panic attack. And oh, when you, when you're in these settings, you want to have caffeine, but you don't need it. So I would stay away from caffeine if you are a person who tends to faint or get extremely anxious. And just don't look. You don't have to look. No one's asking you to look. No one's expecting you to look. And once you get the baby in your hand, the grossness of everything doesn't matter at all it's all about it's all about the joy (laughs) but hold on Shane so you are such a woozy guy you have what's it called the belly button phobia yeah do you remember what that's called yeah oompha lumpha phobia or something (laughs) so you get incredibly uh cringy and grossed out by that kind of stuff however you still cut the umbilical cord so how do you get through that it took me two cuts yeah, that was gross to watch. Yeah, I didn't do it well. I didn't like doing it, but the, but I you did I, it without fainting. Yeah, but I don't look at the umbilical cord as really the belly button. I know mm-hmm. it's part and parcel, but still, it wasn't that as gross as a belly button itself. Right. All right. So that that part was kind of easy. Yeah. All right. All right. So good tips. I like the no caffeine. Next question. And this really ties into what we were talking about earlier. So how do you stay so positive during a never-ending quarantine? So this person is insinuating that you and I are so positive during this quarantine, which I think we are for the most part. However, every day there's a million, a million times where we are not positive and where we struggle to be positive and to think better and be kinder and, you know, show happiness. And I think so much of it is just really trying like it's so easy to give in to negativity and bad thoughts and I think just forcing happiness sometimes is enough to even bring you actually happiness and get you in a positive mood so we do things that keep us positive so for example if like I'm struggling or if Shane is struggling we'll try to change things up ASAP Shane mentioned that I was not getting enough sleep at night obviously because Betty has been hit so hard by the four month sleep regression even though she's on month seven we have not recovered so she's been waking up every hour and now I'm trying to resleep train her but these nights were killing me and I was a monster in the morning. So Shane said, Alex, more sleep done. That's helping. If you know, one of us is getting antsy and it's really taking a toll, be like, Hey, go for your run, go for a workout, get outside, do something that'll help you. Shane had a night the other, the other day and he had so much night the other day. Oh, you had no, you had, you had a, I don't know, an afternoon a couple days ago where you had so much work and it was really piling on and all day into the night so then 
I gotta say, it was kind of me. I did not ask for any help during dinner time, bath time, or bedtime, and I got both girls fed, bathed, and put to bed by myself. Super which mom is, does exist. That's a crazy task. That is a hard task to get accomplished, and I did it. So you're welcome, but... Oh, oh, I'm just referencing because you no, said super mom is dead. In yeah. The, uh, I was just, I'm not limiting that. Oh, I don't or, think you are. But um, yeah, so I, I think that you just have to, you know, start to realize maybe when your partner or your kids need help or just need a little something extra or pick me up and try to get in there. But what do you have to add? Don't put anyone on social media, including us, on a pedestal because we are so messed up. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we're so messed up. No, but... W- because times do get so trying for yeah. us and it definitely manifests itself in ways that are less than kind and we're working mm-hmm. on it 24-7. So I don't want the the comparison to be the thief of joy. No, I, I think that's probably the best thing to do. The best. But uh, next question. Why are you afraid of Shane seeing you in your snotty, messy, ugly, crying, less than perfect state? This question is regarding the mirror face that you make at when you want to look pretty for a discussion. So a few podcasts ago or last podcast, we talked about how Shane, when he, when we were having a a stern discussion, I will sneak a little look in the mirror and do an annoying mirror face. Well, because you told me at the time, because you're worried you have a booger in your nose, yes. which I do not think is true. You have a compulsion to do mirror face every time you look. Well, 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 here's the thing: I, if we are having a discussion, I want to look in the mirror to make sure that I don't have like some big gob of hair sticking out like this, or a booger out of my nose, or something. Because in a discussion like this, so I am, you know, I'm all for Shane seeing me in a snotty, ugly, crying face. You have seen me there so many times, and I feel like in postpartum, you see me there once a week, and I have no shame in that. I'm not scared of it. That's just part and parcel with being married. However, if we're having a discussion, I have a point that I want to make and I want to be taken seriously. I want to be looked at and I want to look like I have my stuff together. I want to look like fearsome. I want to look dominant, not dominant, but just I want to look like a force to be reckoned with. And you cannot take somebody seriously if they have a booger hanging out of their nose. Well, this is all well and good. But I think this is reverse engineered revisionist history. It's not. And I don't think this is actually what's going through your mind. I think. It and is, I, I promise you. I promise you. I promise you it is. Well, I'll tell you. Since I've known you, mm-hmm. I, there's not a mirror. You don't do the most extreme mirror face. You right? do mirror face too. I know. Everyone does. But what I'm saying is you don't pick and choose your moments properly because i want to make sure i don't look goofy when i'm trying to prove a point you're never looking at your nose oh you're you're sucking everything you're sucking in your cheeks and you do i'm not okay again i don't want to get i don't want to get into it like with that thing again okay why you're (laughs) reframing it though no i'm not (laughs) i'm not it's fine alex I we know just, it's fine, I'm no, but I'm not like looking and intentionally doing this. I'm just looking and then doing the face that is just I agree a with habit. That. Yeah, I agree with it's, that. It's just a habit. And, I agree with that. But here's the thing. I'm doing it for a reason because I don't want to look a go- like a goof. And have you ever been in a situation where a booger has been present and it caused you to not take somebody seriously or somebody to not take you seriously? Because this happens. Once I left a friend's house and... I was outside, like I I left. What's it called? Unceremoniously, we, we were <laughs> we were playing a game, and I got upset, and I was asked to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a competitive guy, 
And I left the house and I was like, you know what? One advantage is I can pick my nose now. So I started just picking my nose like like crazy. And then wait, wait, wait. So you thought because you left his house and you were I was in the alone. freedom of outside, right? I was alone. I was in the freedom of outside. So I, I started picking my nose. And then I looked back and they were all staring at me through the window, through the room window. <laughs> so everyone was watching me pick my nose. And it was like two two minutes, three minutes. What was in there that you were trying to fish out? Alex, what do you think? Boogers, man. Yeah, but three minutes worth. There was a lot up there. I have a, I have a larger nose. You know that. And I do think I tend to get a lot up there. And I was like eight or nine at the time. But it was very embarrassing. Oh, yeah. It's, I'm embarrassed for you. And then I, I remember I tried doing something like once once I noticed that they saw me, I tried acting like I knew the whole time and I was doing it to be like, oh, here's what I think of you. And like, like oh you guys are gosh. boogers. It was weird excuse. And I just thought I was never going to be able to show my face in public again. And did they ever bring it back up? I can't remember. This was a long time. I remember the action and the embarrassment. I don't remember the fallout afterwards mm -hmm. or if there was one. What about you, Alex? Yeah, so this is where my fear of boogers hanging out comes from. So I was in fourth grade, and we had a, you know, Catholic. So I'm in school. We have confessions. Have you ever done a confession? I refuse to admit to that. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting on the altar across from the priest. We weren't in the confessional boxes. We were just, you know, sitting across from each other, staring at each other. And so the priest is asking me to confess. And that's already difficult when you're staring at the priest directly and you don't have the screen in between you. So you mm -hmm. have to like, you know, look in their eyes and feel the shame and the judgment. Although, I mean, first of all, I was in grade four. So my confessions were like lying or whatever. And my priest was so kind. There was no shame or judgment. But I looked at him as I'm telling him my confession. And he had... It gives me the willies thinking about it, but he had the biggest, whitest booger Ugh. on his <laughs> lip, <laughs> just sitting on his lip. And he always had a cold, this poor guy, like our priest always had a cold. So I guess he blew his nose. Some of it just flopped down instead of making it into the napkin or something. And it was just sitting there and the entire confession, I couldn't. I couldn't take it seriously and it was That's so sin. it was so hard for me probably and it, it was so hard for me to sit through and it was so hard for me to make eye contact with him and i mean that was in fourth grade and i still remember it so well i still get the same feeling of like embarrassment for him or you know just cringiness because it was kind of gross and i never want to be in that situation especially when i want somebody to take me seriously <laughs> so wait your example isn't even one where you were the one with boogers out of your nose? No, because I just felt so bad for him and I, I couldn't even really Do take... Do you ever have boogers hanging out of your nose? No, because I always take care of it before they get too visible. But yes, I always have boogers that are like threatening to come out. Yes. When do you take care of this? Because I've never seen you with a booger once. Right, because I'm always fixing it, Shane. When do you do this? I told you, in the winter, my nose gets incredibly dry. When do you take dry. care of it? I've never seen I don't you know, really lots throughout the day. I don't see a you're, ton throughout the day. You're very sneaky. I'm like, like blowing my nose or like um, putting a, a what do you call it a, a toilet paper on my finger. Oh, I don't and just like, like that. To get a little. Pick. I don't like that. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> for some reason, I don't like that. I'm sorry. Well, then there you go. So you're welcome for making sure I don't have any boogers in my nose when we argue because it would just gross you out and you definitely wouldn't be able to take me. It seriously. would add the appropriate amount of levity that sometimes our arguments need. I think. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and you have a booger. And then we both start laughing. <laughs> All 
All right, next question. How do you feel about screen time policies and when is it okay to start? So I say start ASAP, like when they're born. We should have started yesterday. If you don't have a screen time policy in place, and I know it's super hard during quarantine, get one. And I say this as somebody who is not currently enforcing any type of screen time policy, but I know I should be. And I have guilt about that every single day that I'm not enforcing that, but it is so damn hard in quarantine. It is so hard. And, you know, God bless parents that are able to do that and are able to find ways to keep their kids busy while giving them, you know, no more than the recommended amounts because kids under two are not recommended to have any screen time at all. Zero. And then from two to five, they're supposed to have less than one hour. That's very little. And that's not realistic. At these times, like when people don't have daycare, I don't think that's realistic right now. It's hard. It's so hard, especially if you have multiples. I I don't get it, but obviously screen time in general is not good for kids. It could lead to delayed language, fractured attention, poor sleep quality. And most importantly, I think, you know, if you're trying to set up good habits is that it can desensitize the brain's reward system. We talked about this before, but so too much dopamine will be released. We spoke about this before. And then the rewards pathways are being overused. So that leads to your kids needing more stimulation to be happy in everyday life. And because the child's brain has become dependent on this chemical reaction, it's just going to be hard to keep your kid occupied. I got that stuff. It's scary, but I got it from a psychologist named Kim Knoll. So like I said, it's hard, but if this is something that you want to do and, you know, I think we should all try to do our best with it, start now, right? And I I think, you know, start when your kids are tiny and then you'll never have to set hard and fast rules because then they just won't be used to screen time. But I think all of these hard hard and fast rules were made before COVID-y times. Yeah. Right now it's like, I don't know what, like... Survive, survive, do what you can and again... I say this as a mom who is allowing quite a lot of screen time in the day because it's our way of getting through days. But next question, do you have advice for another podcaster starting out? I'm going to let Shane take over this one. I will just say to let yourself grow and get better. I was so nervous to really put myself out there and really, you know, have confidence in what I had to say because I didn't want to fail. But in order to get better, you have to fail or you have to find things that you need to improve on. And there's fun in that. So let yourself do that. But Shane, what do you want to add? Go slow. This is such a marathon race. Everyone's doing it and everyone's giving up after their 10th episode because they're not, I don't know, getting over 100 downloads per episode. So don't get discouraged. Don't get in it to get famous or popular that's the worst way to go about it and the reason why you probably won't because there'll be so much stress on the mic and uh, not fun or loose the way you really want to be also i would recommend editing your own episodes in the beginning the reason to do this is you'll notice your vocal tics you'll notice what's annoying and you'll notice what felt good maybe while you were recording doesn't feel as good during the edit and you'll slowly curate yourself until it's just all gold For us, we had to take out so many ums and likes, lip slapping. We had to get a pop filter. So Alex tended to pop her peas, so we had to take care of that. It was very annoying in the beginning, but we figured that out. Yeah, I would look at it more of a five-year plan than a week-to-week or month-to-month. And try to do, if you could, try to eventually do two episodes a week. Because a lot of episodes Mm -hmm. really pick up the steam. And we found that we've got like a 140% increase in 
popularity just from adding that extra episode. It's date night. And if you haven't checked it out, check it out because you will love it. Yeah, it really has changed the game. Like we're, we're we were, I think, like top fifty podcast, and now we're top ten podcast. So it really can change the, the game if you up your frequency, but also your consistency. Uh, always release on the same day. Sometimes podcasts they just do it whenever, but then your audience doesn't look at it as like a scheduled listen. And forming habits is very important for for people because we're especially now we're. We like all these comforts. Oh, I'm going to listen to NPR on Sunday nights. And then if it's not there on Sunday, you might find something else. And then that becomes your new habit. So you don't want to lose people in their habit cycle, especially if it's listening to your podcast. So our final question that we're going to get to today, I think is really good. And it's something that I I really strongly feel. But is there guilt sharing your time when you have more than one child? So I I try to engage both girls when we're doing things but obviously that's hard with Lucy because she doesn't get that you know Betty can't do certain things or she doesn't care that Betty can't do certain things because she just wants to play with me and when we're home alone during COVID she doesn't have any other playmates so I have so much guilt every day that I'm not playing enough with Lucy and then I'm not doing enough to keep her and I'm not doing enough with Lucy to keep her engaged because Betty has so much of my focus because she is so young and you know I always have to have my eye on her constantly so one thing that I think helps is you know I try to stagger their nap time at least a little bit so that I have time with Betty to work on her development when Lucy's sleeping and then likewise I can play with Lucy do tea parties build forts when Betty's sleeping and the 10 minute miracle we talk about this a lot we got this from big little feelings but this is the number one thing play with that specific kid 10 minutes a day without anybody else around without the other parent around without the other kid around no cell phone no tv and just totally immerse yourself in whatever they're doing and that little bit goes such a long way do you shane do i what do you have any guilt with that kind of thing no i find betty is just a baby she doesn't know what's going on so (laughs) and she's so chill Mm -hmm. that if you just plop her down she likes watching lucy and i play yeah yeah, my guilt would be actually that I'm giving Lucy too much attention because oh, I babies, I, it's not that I don't respect them. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I do. No, but I have a thing where I'm But just, you just poop all day. I'm just like, it's just a baby, you know? Lucy yeah. is such a person. And I, I love Lou better right now only because of her age. Babies, Are you going back for when Betty's older? Oh, when Betty's... Uh, two i'll love lou and betty equally but right now (laughs) it's just so like oh would you get up and walk already like and she's so and she's so happy if she was upset all the time i would feel feel guilty betty's the happiest baby but we we struck it rich with calm baby betty and so i really only feel like hanging with lucy yeah no i hear that that's fair that's fair and that's all yeah no it's not all because i i'm i told people i was going to start reading itunes reviews and i have to thank everyone because we did a call to action and we got a whole bunch of reviews and i really do appreciate it and i'm going to read my favorite review and it's by cali park 1233 it says my favorite podcast alex and shane are both so honest funny creative and easy to listen to as soon as i put my kids to bed i throw on their podcast hell yeah callie 
That's what I love to hear. And I love five-star ratings and comments. It really does help us with this algorithm. It, it exposes us to other people and really makes our day because this podcast is a lot more work than I can even put into words. <laughs> and it's it, true. And it's, uh, it makes it all worthwhile. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 71. <laughs>